Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. back everybody to wrestling omakase it is episode number 107 and this week i am very pleased to be joined by two returning guests andy and sean uh andy how you doing i'm doing great john i joined a gym today uh for the first time in a long time because i I really miss katsuya kitamura i gotta try and get that kitamura body get that back uh over here in the u.s Ooh. Uh, and Sean, what have you been up to? Um, not much. Uh, just, uh, uh, I guess calming down from the excitement of, uh, getting, uh, being buried by Joe Lanza on the flagship. <laughs> that was really funny. Left. Yeah. That was really funny when he was like, he, it was like, because you said something I, was I, like, I, I said that the G1 math, that the difficulty uh, of the G1 math is overrated. <laughs> and he like freaked out and was like, you tried doing it live on the air. Uh, we're going to talk about Joe Lanza later because I have some thoughts on his <laughs> on his Naito thoughts. But in the meantime, Sean, I did want to ask you before we get to today's topic. Of course, you're our resident Ring of Honor uh, guru, I guess I could say, for, uh, certainly for like modern Ring of Honor. And I recently came out with an article that apparently caused a little bit of a stir. According to Rover on Twitter, it was making the rounds, whatever the hell that means. Um, about Ring of Honor and like their attendance decline, and I assume you read the article, Sean, right? Yes, I did. Did you, did, did you take issue with any of it as a 
uh, as someone who knows Ring of Honor very well? Um, not really. I mean, I guess when it comes to that sort of thing, you have to be, you know, as much as a fan of the of Ring of Honor or someone who's followed it for as long as I have, you know, it's you got to be open to uh, to take some criticism. And I think this year Ring of Honor has certainly deserved a lot of it. Um, and it's just, you know, something that I think needs to be continue continually brought up as, you know, AEW is starting up and all the, you know, changes are happening in the North American scene. So no, I, I didn't have any issue with it at all. I think it was, uh, I think it was something that needed to be done, but, uh, I guess you, you did a much better job of keeping track of it than I did. So. Um, I do want to mention too for the people listening. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's on VoicesOfWrestling.com. It's my article. I believe I called it. Please take my take our market market share. share, a ballad of Ring of Honor, which apparently people enjoyed that that title. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I felt like that that idea for that article really came in my head like a month ago, and when the when the seat the seat map started looking really really bad for our which maybe even more than a month ago actually. But I didn't really get around to doing it until last week for some reason, um, and I, it was really like the the Las Vegas ones that really like, you know, that was like the final push I needed, I guess, to finally write that article because, um, like, I, I'm sure you saw the seat maps there in the article. I mean, yeah, so, they sold almost no tickets for this pay per view or this. And, that's, and that the thing is, is that that's not a big building. Like, yeah, they they, from what I can remember, they don't even draw. They, they can't even fit fit a thousand in there. It's usually under like 900 or 800, something like that. So yeah, like that was, you know, when you can't even fill a building that size or have, are struggling to fill a building that size, that's uh that's, that, that's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's interesting. You said I was hard on them this year. I think I was harder on a lot of their past decisions than I was on anything else in that article, like the last few years, but I don't know. Oh yeah. I, I was just talking more generally. Yeah. But it, the article caused quite a stir on, like, that one Ring of Honor fan board that I think you're still a moderator of, which I thought was amusing. But, you know, you can't please everybody, I guess. All I know is Ring of Honor came to Portland for the first time ever, and I thought about going. I saw the card and definitely did not want to go, and I do regret <laughs> it because I think that's where the the uh, whole Bully Ray incident yes. happened. Oh, so. yeah, that was Portland? Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, see, you missed But, it I mean, it's... It, it's it's sad because it's like, I mean, I I for years since I've been watching wrestling and and got back into it in the last you know five years, I'd never had a chance to go and see Ring of Honor and it finally comes and I'm like, nope, <laughs> don't don't care enough to, for what that. The, what, do you remember what the main event was? I'm just curious. No idea. <laughs> maybe Sean might know. Maybe I'll yeah. probably check. I think it was okay. a I think it was a house show, but I'll. Uh, it was a house show. Yeah, I'll confirm that for you. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Just to, while Sean looks that up, it's just a very, it's a very bad situation in Ring of Honor right now. But I think the, you know, the real damage was done as I talked about in the article. I think in the past like five years, mm-hmm. where it was made very clear that like, you know, this is like a secondary brand, and really you could talk about it. They they made it very clear that they were almost like a like a third brand compared to it's like Bram one on their shows was was uh, Bullet Club. You know, which obviously later became the elite, mm-hmm. and brand two, brand two was New Japan, and then brand three is Ring of Honor. And it's like when you're the number three, like when you're the number three thing on your own television and your own shows, it's not good, and you're probably setting yourself up for some bad years ahead. 
I think that's almost like an underrated part of WCW's collapse, you know? As much as I think everybody loved the NWO at the time, it's like they it put over this idea that the NWO was really cool and WCW fucking sucked. Mm-hmm. And then like by the time the NWO was over, it's like, well, well, we've we just learned that WCW sucks for the past three years. Yep. Like, why do I why should I care about it now? Very very uh yeah, I don't know if you should do that, basically. Yeah. By the way, uh, so I just looked it up. So the main event was a was a four was a four way match with uh, Matt Taven, Flip Gordon, Mark Haskins, and PCO that went. Uh, it looks like it went twenty six minutes. I think it was an, an elimination match. So that's probably probably why. Uh, Semi main event was uh, Jay Lethal and Jay Briscoe, which you know that, that's that's always good. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a cool match. The the main event though, oh. <laughs> not very good. I can't really. Yeah, I like two of those guys, and I don't really need to see any of them. So, um, but yeah, so I just wanted to bring that up quickly, especially since, since Sean was on here, and the article got a great deal of, I guess, buzz on Twitter and stuff. But if you haven't checked it out, you can still check it out on VoicesWrestling.com. The main topic we're here to discuss is, of course, the New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax 29, which we've been we've been following along with on throughout this uh this g1 on this podcast and this year i'm not going i actually had somebody at me on twitter like right after naito got eliminated and be like are you gonna cancel the finals again and do like another noah retrospective episode like you did last year (laughs) and i was like no i did i i sort of thought about it i guess last year i was i mean we'll talk about it more when i get to the naito part but basically last year i was really angry this year, I was angry for like five minutes, and then after that, it was like, "Well, you know, this is how it is, and this is what happens to Naito and G1s now, I guess." So it's more like a resigned sadness than like a true anger, which I'm going to talk about later on when we get to the reaction and the reaction to the reaction. Yeah, I was just going to um, say that uh, I remember I think I was watching the undercard tag on the final with Lij, and Kevin Kelly brought up that. Uh, <laughs> Naito's been knocked out of the. I guess he's he was he was knocked out on the final night, three of the last four years, which yes, Kenny did it to him in 2016, um, in the B Block final, and then obviously last year it was uh, Zach Zach Saber Junior. Yeah, and then this year obviously Jay White. So it, it, they really like giving you that Naito heartbreak, and that's what they do. So finally getting. Getting beat by all the white dudes. That's true. <laughs> I mean, on the on the bright side, I mean, Okada makes it every year and then gets knocked down the final day. But I guess he's you know he's, yeah, he's champ a fucking champion. Every year. No, yeah, yes, no, that's right. That's right. He is he is the champion. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, let me let me go back to back it up though. So the point is, we decided not to do that. We decided not to cancel all them. And part of the reason why is because I really did love this G one. Like you know. Obviously, the Naito sadness aside, I thought this was the best G1 since probably, like, 2015. I really have to think about it. Like, this one, to me, is really close to 20... 2017 was also really, really good. But, you know, last year's I thought was, you know... It was really down. And it was, like, basically one good block and one quite bad block. And 2017 also had, like, the one good block, one bad block thing. that that The bad block wasn't nearly as bad, basically. And... This year, obviously, had two very well-balanced blocks. You know, the A block had a lot of what you might call the flashier people. And, you know, the B block was, like, very 
grimy in a lot in some ways, but still had like a lot of really interesting people in it. And I think both blocks really delivered. I mean, the the average star rating, you know, for both blocks ended up being, um, you know, I actually had B ahead of A, which I think is not that surprising if you know my taste in wrestling. But I had B block at, at the average star rating. All the matches in B block were three point seven four, so almost three and three quarters, which is obviously you know fucking great. And that's like including Nano even. And A block, the average rating was three point six one, which is still really good. And you know, again, includes Bad Luck Folly, who was you know. He was bad luck folly. What are you going to say about him at this point? I'm sure if you take him out, the average star rating will be a lot higher. But, like, you know, so you had two really strong blocks with, like, a lot of great matches. Um, you know, just looking at my spreadsheet here, I know, very nerd voice here. I had at least I had 43 matches that were at least four stars, which is crazy. And I think last year I only had about 25. And... You know, I had one five-star match, three, four, and three quarters, uh, 15, at least four and a half. So really, really, really good G1 as far as, like, high-end matches go. Um, as far as, like – and then, obviously, like, there was, like, a lot of cool character stuff, too, where, like, you could really follow people's ups and downs and stuff like that. So I don't know. I'm, Naito losing, obviously. very. I was very upset, very, very sad. But I wasn't going to let it, like, destroy the G1 for me after – it was such a great G1. Whereas last year, I mean, last year it was more of like the fucking, first of all, the Tokyo Dome loss was very fresh in my mind. And second of all, I just didn't enjoy that G1 nearly as much. So it was much more like, okay, well, Naito lost, fuck this shit. And resulted in the the episode wrapping it up being canceled. But there you go. That's my story on why you're even listening to this episode. Uh, what's your like big picture thoughts, Andy? Did you enjoy this G1 as well? Yeah, I actually, uh, I really did. I mean, so so you all know just because I, I talked to you both and and everybody else in the the Voices of Wrestling Slack, you know, daily that I haven't even finished the the 2018 G1. I'm still I've been on night 10 for about uh, nine months. So there, and, and that's not even since when it happened. 12 months, I guess. But um, so I haven't even finished that one yet. Uh, this one I was able to watch everything basically day of, and and I did really enjoy it. And, and similar to you, I had a pretty extraordinary amount of matches that. Uh, made the list, as you can say, and made the spreadsheet. Um, not quite as many four-star matches, but I only rate in everything uh, three and three-quarters or above. And three and three-quarters for me sometimes is not a real rating. It's more like uh, just a catch-all of something that I would want to watch again sort of sort of rating. So it's like better than three and a half, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, it's I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and as I was saying before we started recording, uh, also similar thoughts, I think, uh, B block had the I, I didn't break down every single match, but B block had the the highest highs for me. Uh, but there there was a lot of really high quality uh, A block stuff. Really between Abushi, Tanahashi, uh, Kenta, and Okada. I mean, they really uh, kind of killed it. Well, I guess an evil too. So uh, it was just a uh, yeah, really really good tournament. I think, um, and I was kind of not expecting it to be in a way. Sean, what what do you like your macro thoughts for getting the shows here? Um. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty fantastic tournament. Uh, as far as, like, matches go, I probably have the same amount as same amount of, uh, like, matches over four as you do, if not more. Um, and just going through, you know, my own sort of my own star ratings and sort of the averages that I calculated on my spreadsheet, um, both uh, this year's A block and B block ended up being the highest um, 
like average star rating for all the G1s that I have sort of uh, been keeping track of myself since I started uh, watching in 2013. Um, the, you know, I had the highest B block and then the A block itself this year was the highest block I've had um, ever with an average of about uh, 3.88, which, which is like really close to four. And then B block is like 3.79. So like not that far behind. Um, no, I just thought, you know, the, the quality was mostly excellent and we only had really, uh, there was only really one sort of dud in each block with Folly and Yano. But, you know, other than that, you know, even the lower end people were at least, um, or at least good. Like just, uh, I'm, I'm sure this might disappoint you a little bit, John, but out of the 20 people I have in the tournament, uh, tai- I had Tai Chi as 18th, but his still, it's like his average star rating was still for me like a three point. Four four, which is you know it's right below three point five, and that's not, you know, it's not really that's not bad at all. It just speaks more to the overall quality of the tournament that like the eighteenth person is averaging three and a half stars, at least for me. Yeah. Um, what did you think? I guess of, um, you know, like as far as like who's had a good tournament and bad tournament. Was there anybody for either one of you that had a good tournament but also a disappointing tournament? Because for me, that was Zack Sabre Jr. Because I really just thought, after last year especially, I just it's not that he had a bad tournament. I just thought he'd have a better one than mm-hmm. he did. Yeah, I, uh, it's actually a really good one. Uh, both him and Sonata for me. Uh, I, I'm, I am a Sonata. I, I do like him. I'm on that, that side of the Sonata divide. Uh, but both of them were on the lower number of matches that, that I considered to be uh, great. And both of them uh, within those those great matches had lower were on the lower end of those averages. So like each of them had one really good to great match for me. And then a couple that were uh, good, good to great. So uh, those are, those are kind of my two that were good, weren't terrible, but definitely they both had better tournaments, both G1 and New Japan cup type things. What did you think, Sean? Anybody that was, even though they were good, maybe a little bit disappointing. Um, well, I think it's interesting. So the, I think there are a couple of people who I, who I, I noticed at least, at least from my point of view, had either perceptions of having either good or bad tournaments. But then when I look at my numbers, they sort of maybe reflected something a little bit different. Um, like for example, Zack Saber Jr. I think generally, like Andy sort of alluded to, I think you alluded to as well. He had the perception of having not as good of a tournament. Um, but when I did my, you know, personal. Uh, just before this podcast recording, I did my own, you know, personal averages and checked everything. And Saber ended up finishing in my top ten. Surprisingly, he finished mm-hmm. ninth. Um, oh, wow. So it was sort of a surprise to me. Is like, oh well, I I didn't think Saber had that good of a tournament, but you know, uh, the numbers the numbers in my spreadsheet don't lie, and <laughs> it ended up coming to that number. So, um, and I, I I guess another person who I think people consider having a disappointing tournament is Jeff Cobb. Um, which is interesting. And on my list, he sort of does rank in the bottom five. I have him at, I think like 17th, but still sort of like Tai Chi, you know, he's, he's ranked towards the bottom for me yet. His like average star rating is actually, you know, relatively good. I have Cobb at a 3.61, which again, that's, you know, for the, it just speaks to how good the quality was in this tournament that, you know, somebody averaging, over three and a half stars is sort of like near the bottom. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so that's. I had, I had sorry. I had one one more that just to bring that up because Jeff Cobb reminded me. Sorry, uh, was was Juice for me? I thought this was going to be big. Uh, breakout for Juice and Juice was good the whole tournament, but was rarely great for me. Um, yeah, I and I expect I expected him to like really kind of be you know runner up or, or like third kind of in the B block and uh, not even just results wise, but even match quality wise, he did have some super high highs. Um, but but overall, kind of disappointing. So yeah, he was stuck in that mushy middle for yeah. me and like ended up towards the bottom of the middle. Yeah, a like, lot there's... of like three and a quarter to three yeah. and a half you know star matches or three three star matches. Yeah. Yeah, I, ha- I have basically, like, six guys, like, all stuck together, like, very close together on my rankings, and, like, he's one of them, but, like, mm-hmm. just he happened to be the bottom of it. So his his ranking almost looks worse than it felt to me. Sure. I guess we'll get into that when we talk about it. Um, okay, so let's break down the last last few shows here before we talk any more macro stuff. First of all, the Hamamatsu Arena show on Wednesday, August 2nd, August 7th, I should say. Uh, that was this past week. Um, this show was the second-to-last A-Block show. It opened up with, well, as far as the two matches go, Sonata beating Lance Archer in 10-28 with the O'Connor roll. Uh, that moved Sonata 4-4 four and four and dropped Archer to 2-6. and six. Um, This was I, a good opener. It was like one of these matches where it's going to be hard for me to find much to say about it in... You know, in a podcast a week later, it was just like a good 10-minute match that just kind of flew by. I like Sonata winning with the roll-up. It's You know, I, I like people winning roll-ups in general, and I just thought it worked really well here as far as the finish goes. It made, like, Lance looked like a big rampaging monster, and Sonata looked like he just outsmarted him. But, you know, I went three and a half on it. It was a good match, just nothing I'm ever probably ever going to think of again. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's, exa- that's basically exactly my notes. Uh, that's kind of Lance's, I, I think Lance for a lot of people had a really surprisingly excellent tournament or, or for so, those of people who've been seeing his praises for a while knew he was going to have one, uh, but nothing ever that was like super high. But again, similar, all his matches were pretty much, you know, pretty good. And this is another person who is often pretty good. And that's just kind of what this one was. Yeah. I had the uh, same rating as John 3.5, pretty good for the time that it got and, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Not much else to say about it. Uh, Fale and Tanahashi. Fale won a 9.58 with a backslide. That That's really the result, folks, a backslide. Uh, Andy, as the foremost <laughs> Fale defender in the Western yeah. world, what yeah. do you think of this fucking flash pin gimmick? I think it's really funny. It is like, funny. I, I really enjoy <laughs> yeah. it. I, I enjoy it from a comedy perspective. Um, it almost, to me, says... You know, it's like the biggest signal yet to me that he's done completely as like a serious contender because he would be beating these people with like the bad luck fall if he wasn't, you know, if, he, if they were still going to put him that in that way. But yeah, I just, it was funny. And I actually think it was one of his better matches. I went two and three quarters. Uh, I saw some people really hated this, but I yeah. thought it was like, I thought it was fine. No, I'm, um, I'm in, I'm in the inoffensive okay. camp. Yeah. But, um, as as the the folly defender, and and some of that is tongue in cheek, which everyone knows. But I, but I do generally enjoy him more than than the average. I I've never hated him. I don't hate his shenanigans. I think there's a a place for that even in New Japan. Uh, but I I would be lying if I would if if I would admit that he hasn't regressed uh, in the last couple of years. That that said, he's had a couple of uh, to me excellent matches this year, uh, or at least one. 
Um, well, yeah, the Okada one. The Okada match was the, great. Yeah, I was gonna say, what's the other one? <laughs> I can't remember. I looked at my 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 uh, whole year list, and he had three matches on there, but I can't remember what the other one is. Um, but but yeah, this was nothing to me. I mean, at this point, the match didn't matter. They're both both basically out of the tournament. It's just kind of comedy at this point. Um, I can't remember. I have to. I'd have to look back. Who were who the four people that Folly beat? He beat Okada. Oh, no, he didn't beat Okada. He beat Evil Tanahashi, Evil Sonata. And one other person. Okay. Uh, who the fuck else did he beat? It's a good question. Uh, he beat Kenta. Oh Kenta. yeah. Okay. That's who I was thinking. Out Okada. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a couple of couple of big names there. Uh, nothing that's that's too big, but you know, I, I, those results also don't mean that we're going to get him in a big singles pay per view, our our big event match, I guess, uh, in the fall. So for those of you who do hate him, that's probably a good thing. They were probably, they were like very cautious to not put him over any champions. Yeah. (laughs) He's like not even the junior champion. He couldn't beat. So I guess if he wanted to slim down, he couldn't get that challenge. Yeah. I, I I went the same rating as John on this. I did think it was one of Fale's, you know, better matches at the tournament though. Obviously that's not, that's not saying much. Yeah. Uh, Then we got Will Ospreay and Kenta, which is an interesting one to me. Uh, Ospreay won this. In sixteen thirty three, the Stormbreaker uh, moved him to three and five and dropped Kenta to four and four. Um, this one got hotly debated on Twitter at the time, with people either loving or hating it. And you know, I I thought this was I was in the camp of loving it. I thought this was better than a lot of the more hyped Osprey matches. Um, you know, I totally understand the flaws. Obviously, Kenta slipped on that fucking springboard. Uh, there was like another very obvious botch too, but they were covered from the botches really well. I thought. Um, and, you know, it was a very stiff match, which is always going to get points for me. Um, you know, there was like a really stiff striking and Kenta did this, like at one point, like, uh, or Osprey took like the swingy DDT, like with his neck hitting the top rope, it just looked brutal. Um, and then like, I don't know, like it had these big, fl- it's one of these matches to me that had these like really big flaws, but was still really, really great. And to me, that's what four and a quarter was invented for it. So that's what I went with there. Um, I thought it was really great, and I think you know as far I would like I don't know if Kenta's ever going to go for the junior title. I kind of doubt he is, but I would m- not mind seeing them fight again. So, yeah, no, I I really enjoyed this as well. I also went four and a quarter on it. Uh, I thought they showed some some really great intensity throughout the match, and there were some really cool moments in the match, like the uh, the uh, falconer on the apron, which I think I think that's the first time I've ever seen a falconer go on the apron before. Um, no, no, it's just a really great match. Uh, if the botches hadn't happened, I probably would have gotten a little higher, but you know, it's, it doesn't mean it wasn't still a great match. Yeah, I, I also I also really liked it. I'm lower than you both, uh, but you know, it's actually kind of interesting as the divide that it did cause. And, and I'm actually of the frame of mind with uh, I very much agree with Joe about the these are not botches necessarily like they they, kenta recovered very professionally and to me in this this ask this this kind of match where you have two very different styles uh, it actually kind of adds something to it to me adds to the realism uh because he is slower than will osprey and to me and john i think you could probably sympathize with this a little bit uh some of osprey's offense or a lot of it and uh the choreographed nature of it is total bullshit so people should be stumbling over their feet <laughs> here and there uh and uh that all said taking those things away here and there uh this was one of the most fierce uh, offensive matches that kenta had i mean you have someone who takes insane bumps and, and kenta made sure to make them bump hard and uh 
yeah, it was really good. Uh, I went three and three quarters. I could definitely go make it a four-star match, but that's what it is right now. So uh, really enjoyed it on the whole. And I, I love seeing Will Ospreay getting his ass kicked. So that's good. <laughs> The semifinal, Kota Ibushi defeating Zack Sabre Jr. in 1546 with the Kamigoe. Um, that brought Ibushi up to six and three. It dropped Zack, I believe, to three and five. Um, so this was really good, but just to me, like several steps below the G1 match last year, which was like probably either my third or fourth favorite match of the entire G1. I went four and three quarters on that match. This one to me was not even in the same league as that one. Um, yeah. when four stars flat on this one. I mean, it was still really good, but just, you know, when you set, like, such a high bar, and it, I thought they matched match at, uh, what's it called, the the new show, uh, Sengoku Lord, earlier this yeah. year. I thought that was be- a lot better than this one, too. Or this one, you know, it just felt like, you know, Koda had a big weekend, <laughs> you know, to come. So it did feel like he wasn't quite going completely full throttle and ended up being more of a Zack-style match, which is still good, and I still really liked it, but just... Not quite as good as their match last year. Uh, what do you think of it, Andy? Yeah, uh, I, to me, these two kind of have diminishing returns at this point. Uh, when they were both in like the uh, cruiserweight classic and everything, and the whole prospect of them facing off and 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 everything that could come, uh, you know, that was kind of dream match territory at that point. You know, if you go back two or three years ago, these are my two favorite wrestlers in the world, and, and still to this day, they're two that I really like. But uh, I feel like uh, I don't want to say every match is less and less, but it sort of feels like they got to They got to try something new. Um, I did really like this match, but I think it's because they're two very skilled people who have wrestled each other quite a few times. And uh, yeah, it was it was good. No, it wasn't it wasn't the best. It was actually my second favorite Zack Sabre Jr. match of the tournament. But as I said, he kind of had a, a disappointing tournament. Sean, um. I think I liked it a little more than you, John. I went four and a quarter on it, though I would agree it was definitely below uh, their match from last year's G1. Um, you know, these guys have been facing a lot, though that being said, that they can, they're still fully capable of having, you know, great matches. Even, like, their their worst matches are still, you know, really good, so. Yeah. Uh, the main event, Kazuchika Okada defeating Evil in exactly 27 minutes with the Rainmaker. It made him 7-1 and dropped Evil to 4-4. Four and four. This, I thought, was another awesome match. Um, they pretty much, these matches, Evil and Okada, they, they're really well known for having really great closing stretches. But I thought this was like their best closing stretch ever as yep. far as these matches go. The only reason why I don't have it as like a slightly higher than I do, I went four and a quarter. It's because I did think the opening like 10 minutes was a little too dull. And that, you know, Okada, I think, gets over critiques for that. And I think sometimes people say that even when it's not really true, like with that Okada Sonata match in the G1. But in this case, I think it kind of was really true. So, um, you know, I get that part of it. But after that, it really picked up. And the entire closing stretch was like, you know, there's like this headbutt counter of the spinning Rainmaker from Evil that's just like maybe the best counter of the year. So really, really great match. Um, like I said, four and a quarter for me again. And another big step here for Evil, who, you know, this this G1 was a big recovery for him from last year after he, I thought he was pretty weak in last year's G1. But he was also in the bad block, so, you know. <laughs> what do you think, Andy? Yeah, awesome. Uh, I Definitely, I think, uh, lesser than the, the Sonata match. I think Okada and Sonata have really kind of worked out a formula that's that's really great, um, and and I agree that 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 the critiques of the early parts of that Sonata match were 
uh, kind of BS, and, and I found it was actually really well worked. But I do think, uh, similar to what you said, uh, the beginning of the evil match was was a bit slow. I, I tend to like matches like that, and, and that kind of build to these big crescendos. Uh, this one just didn't quite hit the same high. Still four stars for me. Um, and I do think this tournament really uh, cemented it for me. That evil, I think, is like maybe like a top five like closing stretch wrestler. Um, he I mean, he really does excel in like that last five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of people get on, we'll talk about Jay White here. A lot of people get on Jay White as being super counter heavy and kind of corny and evil wrestles similarly in the closing stretches, but better. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's really one of the best closers, uh, even when he loses. So oh, that was an awesome match. Sean. Yeah, I, I thought this was a, uh, a fantastic main event. Actually. Um, I went four and a half, and it was actually my second favorite evil match of the entire tournament. Nice. Um, oddly enough, I know people have, you know, uh, the main critique has been that opening, you know, 10 minutes. I actually had no problem with that part of the match, and that's probably why I'm a little higher than most on it. But uh, obviously, that, that closing stretch was just pretty amazing. And th- those two would just work really well together at that aspect of the match. And, uh, yeah, that that last part was what really took it up for me. It makes sense that you'd like that, Sean. You got the uh, thirty-five minute Jay Lethal matches for the last five years, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Did, I'm just... Does a better job than Jay Lethal, <laughs> even, though, even though I do like Jay Lethal. I'm just kidding. It was good. Yeah, yeah. It was it was not as offensive as people wanted to make it out to be the the opening, but but definitely a little slower than the Sonata one for me. Uh, okay, so overall, very good show as far as you're getting a. Uh you know, a bunch of four-star matches in a row. So end up with like a 3.75 average for me on the entire show, which I'm going to give my ranking later of all the the nights, which sometimes I feel like the average, doing it by average rating, like really underrated and really overrated certain shows. But I guess we'll get into that when we get to it. Uh, After that, night 16, which is from Yokohama, the second to last B-Block night on Thursday, August 8th. Uh, it opened up with Toriano defeating Taichi in 5-0-4 by countout. Uh, <laughs> he moved to 4-4 four and, four and dropped Taichi at 3-5. I thought this match was fucking hilarious. Um, yeah. I mean, just probably my second favorite Yano match of the entire tournament after the Ishii one. Uh, I went, I, I gave this three and three quarters because I'm like, that's like the highest I can give a five-minute comedy match in my mind, but I thought it was like so fucking funny. So... I love the ending of like just the ending of Tai Chi, like after he tried to wrap Yano up in the in the uh, the ring. I don't know if you would call it the banner, I guess. And then also, and then instead, he Yano wraps him and Kanemaru together, and that's how he wins. Just fucking perfect. I, the only complaint I have with this is I wish it was like twenty minutes longer. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. Uh, I mean, not on the the sheet or anything, but but perfect. And and uh, I think Yano. Uh, both last year and this year was uh, for me. I know, I know you had uh, your last guest. Uh, Hannah was, is a big Yana fan, a Yano fan. Um, I'm not quite going to be the high as high on star ratings, but um, whereas I'm okay finally having bad luck folly leave to the G1. I want Yano in the G1 until uh, he can't move like Nakanishi or something. Oh, I think oh, he's yeah. perfect. You know, he's 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 perfect for it. So I totally agree. Um, what do you think of this one, Sean? Yeah, this was a this is a lot of fun. Actually, you know, I didn't even know about because I guess he they sort of teased the burrito thing on the tag from the night before, which you know obviously I didn't watch their tag. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea it was coming when I did when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's that's actually pretty hilarious. Um, I 
I do agree with what I think Andy said. You know, Yano is someone who could probably wrestle in the G1 for another 20 years and still be <laughs> as good as he is now in terms of, you know, good in his role. Um, and yeah, and just in my mind, there there are good matches, there are bad matches, and then there are Yano matches. <laughs> they're, they're, they're their own separate thing. Yeah. After that, we had Tetsuya Naito defeating Jeff Cobb in 1247 with the Destino. Uh, Naito moved to 5-3, and three and Cobb fell to 3-5. and five. This, I, I have a feeling I'm going to be the high person on this one, but I thought it was fucking awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was like Cobb's second best match of the tournament after the Ishii match. I think it, it was as far as like it, it was good at the start, but then it really found a second gear after Naito hit this top rope Rana. And considering it wasn't that long, you know, to begin with, it, it didn't take that long to get that second gear. Um, and there was like this crazy sequence where Cobb like caught Naito on a swinging DDT, but then Naito turned that the suplex he tried into like a high angle DDT. And then Cobb caught Naito on like a running Destino and just like fucking sent him into orbit. That was the best. That that gift yeah, that's been going awesome. around. And yeah, that's that's a great one. It was like Kevin Kelly called an elevated <laughs> five. And it was like, I, 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 I just like he fucking tossed him. And then there was the tour of the Destino, which is like, again, an amazing spot where Cobb like goes for tour of the islands and Naito turns it into the Destino in midair. Um, so yeah, I went four and a quarter. I thought it was fucking awesome. And this is one of these matches where I'm just like, some people didn't think this was that great. And I'm like, what were you even watching? But yeah, Sean, why don't you go? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Andy. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I really liked it a lot as well. Uh, don't really understand why people dislike this match. I went four flat on it. And I think that, you know, that particularly that closing stretch, that second half of the match is what, you know, really put it over the top for me. And I, for me, I guess would say was probably Cobb's in, in, in his top matches for sure. Um, yeah, uh, didn't make uh, it. It was good for sure. I'm not as high as both of you. Um, definitely didn't think it was bad. I really wanted it to to uh, get on the list, and and I really thought the pairing was good. And I think these two could probably wrestle again on on you know some random show and and produce something that's uh, even better. Uh, but it was kind of the perfect length. Um, yeah, just missed the list. Uh, Nido bumped like a madman, and and yeah, really brought something out of Cobb. So, uh, I, you know, around three and a half for me. Didn't quite quite make the cut, but uh, definitely definitely good. And, and don't begrudge you both having it in, in the four star, four and a quarter star range. I think uh, people who had, I saw some that were like two and three quarters or two and a half stars for it, and that seems uh seems a little crazy to me because <laughs> it was definitely one of the high high points of the night. Then we had Hiroki Goto defeating John Moxley in eight thirty eight with the GTR. Uh, Goto goes to five and three and drops Moxley to five and three. This is what again I really like this probably even better than the consensus. Um, you know, Goto was a guy who like was very up and down for me in this tournament. He had like a he had a long run where I just felt like he was doing nothing, but here he was awesome. And you know, obviously John Moxley. I mean, I think I've I praised him enough on this podcast in the last month probably. I mean, he's just he's. I had no idea he had this in him. I had no idea he was going to come to Japan and just fucking go balls out with like basically the, the Puro Slugfest style, which is what he did, you know, in this match again. And, you know, for people who thought at first it was like, oh, John's only going to be tables and, you know, chairs or whatever. He just came in here and, you know, hit Goto in the face. And that was it. And, you know, they didn't do any weapons, didn't do any, anything really. Um, I love the choice to do like an under 10 minute sprint. I just really liked it. I went four stars flat on it. Uh, you know, thought it was go- one of Goto's better matches and another strong performance for Moxley. 
Yeah, it was really shocking to see how short this match was. That's what really surprised me. Um, and actually, it was the length. And I, I uh, just full disclosure, I really liked the match as well. I think it went three and three quarters on it. But I think the length is what sort of prevented me from, you know, giving it that, that four-star mark. I would have liked to have seen it gone maybe like two or three minutes more just to give it some more, you know, substance. But, you know, still overall, I, I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought it might have been a little bit better, but can't complain too much. Yeah, uh, similar. Uh, again, just, just miss the list. I actually I, we'll talk about this, I guess. Um, I really loved this whole show. Didn't have, it had, we'll talk about it, one of my very favorite matches of the tournament. Uh, but everything was like really nicely timed. So it felt like the, the G1 matches in particular super were super breezy to get through. And that was kind of, I actually loved that this was a, a sprint. Um, doesn't doesn't make the list or anything, but it is uh, it, it was really good. And, and Goto and Moxley both kind of performed similar, similarly uh, for me in the tournament. Uh, basically the same uh, average rating as far as matches uh, that, that I want to go back to that I kind of uh, really deem to be great. And uh, yeah, they, they brought it here. And again, this is another duo that I think uh, you could put out a couple of different couple more times and then produce something different each time. And we know we'd get something hard hitting. Um, but yeah, Moxley, it was great. Uh, most of the tournament. Uh, then we had the semi-main event with Jay White beating Juice Robinson in 2301 with the JTL. I guess the Juice tap dash. Didn't realize he's going to change it with every time somebody taps to it. Uh, but that makes White five and three and drops Juice to three and five. Um, so I, here's my thing with this match. I liked a lot of it. And I like that all the legwork paid off in the end in the sense that Juice tapped out. Um, the problem I have with the match is I think the story was good enough to stand on its own without the the Gato interference. I understand that was his meta story in the tournament, but they got away from it in the fucking fight in the you know the last match against Naito. So they I, I would have liked to see Jay, especially knowing now he was gonna go on to beat Naito as clean as he did. I would have liked to see him beat Juice a little cleaner here. And to me, the, the Gato interference, if anything, felt really tacked on, like even more than usual. It just felt like, well, you know, Ju- Jay destroyed this man's leg. He doesn't, Ju- like, Juice can barely stand. Why do we need, like, the fucking Gato interference for Jay to win? It make Jay look like, like kind of a geek, in my opinion. And when I think a much better finish would have been, like, Juice going for the Pulp Friction and having his leg give out, and Jay just wins that way. Um you know, you can cheat along the way, but like it just felt, which he did anyway, but it just felt like the, like doing that at the end just really took away from the match for me. So I went three and a half on it. Um, you know, I still liked a lot of it, but I just thought the ending really like destroyed a lot of it for me. What do you think, Andy? Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, you all know I'm, I'm a, I'm a big Jay White fan. Uh, I love his shenanigans. I, I, I can definitely understand in, in, in a lot of wrestling, uh, hate interference and I would be okay if he didn't have that, but it doesn't take me out of matches the same way it does with other people. Um, and especially with juice, you know, juice, uh, you take juice and you take Kota Ibushi and you have like two of the most pure baby faces there like ever was. And, uh, so I think almost the story, while it does suck that it doesn't doesn't make Jay as as dominant by just having him kind of win without the interference and the cheating, it does kind of give more sympathy to Juice in, in a way um, rather than him just outright losing. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked it three and three quarters for me, um, and I thought 
uh, where Juice had kind of a disappointing tournament. And uh, some people will disagree with this, but I think Jay had one of the strongest tournaments. So, uh, yeah, it was great. I, I definitely would disagree. But we'll get into that when we get to the rankings, I guess. That's okay. Uh, Sean, what do you have here? Um, I'm well, pro- I'm probably the highest on this match out of the three of us. I mean, I only went four flat on it, but you know, I, I really enjoyed the leg work. You know, once once that started to get going in the match, you know, and it you know it did play out or it did pay off in the end with the submission win. Um, but what they actually also really liked is how you know the with with the chair getting introduced in the towards the end of the match with sort of the uh, benefit in hindsight when thinking about Juice's match with Moxley in Budokan Hall, I thought it was interesting how sort of Juice gained the advantage right at the very end, and he, you know, after the chair had been introduced, he sort of took the the John Moxley route and was going to attempt to use the chair as a weapon with the pole friction, and it ended up just backfiring on him. And I thought that was interesting how that sort of, you know, countered the story of Juice's next match a little bit where he went out of his way to not use any weapons, even when they became, you know, introduced or, or became available to him. So in, in hindsight, I think that might've added a little bit more to that match for me, but I you know I thought it was great. And uh, I guess as far as Jay White matches go, um, I'd say it was in his upper half of matches in this tournament. Um, and for Juice, I'd say the same thing, sort of in that upper at, I guess in his sort of top three or four matches of the tournament. Yep. Uh, the, the main event, Shingo Takagi defeating Tomohiro Ishii in 22-41 with the last of the Dragon to go to three and five and drop the Never Champion to four and four. Uh, this, I don't think anyone's going to disagree on. This was fucking amazing. Uh, <laughs> just two people, basically just two people beating the living shit out of each other. Uh, you know, they destroyed each other at Lariats. You know, and uh, pumping bombers. There was the there was this crazy like lariat backdrop exchange that just had people like screaming, like flat out, not just cheering, just like basically screaming at the top of their lungs. And it was like you know the, the kind of reaction you don't hear every day, even in New Japan. Um, and you know there was like a sequence where Shingo ended up countering this brainbuster into an Emerald Frosion, basically, which I love when people hit moves that you know, like aren't in the normal move set and they just kind of hit it out of the course of a match like this. So that was fucking awesome. Um, I really thought about the full five. We'll end up going four and three quarters, but this was like obviously another amazing match between two guys who both had amazing tournaments. I loved this match. I, I did not have the fear. I did go the full five on it. Yeah. <laughs> tournament. Um, I could watch this match um, and others like it. Um, every single day and not get bored by it. Uh, but Ishii, either whether it was, you know, internal bleeding from the ear or if it was just a cut, I thought that visual really added to the match. Like how they, you know, the idea that Shingo beat Ishii so hard that he, you know, he started bleeding from the head. That was pretty, or bleeding from the ear. That was, that was pretty cool. And uh, no, yeah, I hope they do this again at some point in the future. What do you think? Yep. Uh, amazing. I mean, this is the kind of match that I like. This is what I want in New Japan for the most part, uh, and some other stuff. But uh, I, I, amazing. Not not four and a half for me, so I'm the lowest. But that still makes it uh, a top three match of the tournament for me. Um, uh, I think these are the two best people uh, throughout the tournament. They they were the, the two best wrestlers, and uh, 
they showed it here. Why they they really can have basically a great match with anybody. So it makes sense that <laughs> they had a great match together. Um, I just fucking love you know you know I think some people uh, were like uh, can Shingo hang? Uh, those of us who have been watching Shingo for years know he could, and uh, I just love love his whole story arc. Even if he finished with the uh, at the bottom of B block or whatever, he uh, I guess he didn't really because there's a few other people with the same scores, but. Um, yeah, just just a great match. Uh, I don't know what else to say other than this is the the number one match I recommend probably to, to most everybody who who hasn't watched any G one uh, for this year. Yeah, so overall, this ended up being my highest rated like show of the tournament when it comes to average ratings. I wow, guess nothing was bad and everything was great. So you know, ended up being a really really strong night. And for the average, like I think does end up focusing a little too much on the Yano or Folly matches because I sure. think having such a strong Yano match and then the rest of the night being so good is what really helped it. But like, yeah, I, I don't know if it's quite my favorite night, but it was a really strong night overall. Um, then we get to the Nippon Budokan night 17 in Tokyo, the final A block night. The first G1 match was evil losing the Lance Archer in 10 2 with the EBD claw, and this was another fucking awesome sprint. Yeah, red hot crowd, yeah. two mm-hmm. dudes beating the crap out of each other. Four and a quarter for me. I got no problem going high on a on an awesome ten minute match like this. So this might have been my favorite Lance Archer match actually. After he had a really, I, don't, I think some people were probably a little higher on some of his other matches than I was. Yeah, uh, just double checking to make sure I didn't have him higher in something. I think no, I had him at. Yeah, this is the highest rate match I had of his. So I had a, he was like at three and a half a lot for me. He hit four flat a bunch of times and three and a quarter once. So he he was like remarkably consistent. But if you don't count Fale, he never fell below three and a half for me. But this was his like his standout performance for me. And Evil just had an awesome tournament the entire way through. So great match. What do you think, Dandy? Uh, I love the finish. I think that's that 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 uh, was something that some people were uh, not. I don't want to say some people were like harping on, but but that we're a little concerned with because it really came out of nowhere. Uh, was was kind of quick. You know, you you still got a little bit of that hot stretch, uh, but the whole match was a sprint, and then Lance kind of, you know, just takes care of business. And I don't know. It was just a yeah, really good. Uh, lower than you, but still still on the list. Uh, both of these guys were, were two of the people who didn't finish the highest on, you know, if I were to rank overall MVPs or match ratings or, or the number of matches on that made my list. Uh, but both of them were probably two of my favorites. Like each night that they were on, uh, I was looking forward to their matches as much as anybody else's essentially. And uh, yeah, really loved it. Um, and I would love to see uh, whether it's the Never title or the IC title or anything like that. If you're looking for some new people to kind of inject into either of those scenes, I think these are uh, two of the people you could definitely uh, build around. What do you think, Sean? Um, I don't think I'm as quite as high on it as you are, John, but I, I still really enjoyed it. It, it, was, a, it was a lot of fun for, a, uh, for the opening match of the A-Block matches on that night. Uh Love the spot where Archer did a, st- a standing moonsault off the apron. That was pretty nuts. Um, no, no, yeah, it was just a, a lot of fun, very entertaining. Um, not as not the. I, I guess the finish was a little too sudden for me personally, but you know, I I still do like that he is winning matches with the Claw in the tournament. Just to sort of put that over as like a a finisher. I just wish he probably would have, or I just wish he would have. Uh, Maybe had the claw in a little bit longer before painting him, uh, but that—that's 
only minor thing. I still really enjoy this match. I want to put Lance Archer in a Nokiaism uh, in New Japan, you know, in the early 2000s and have him wrestle six minute matches that he wins with the claw. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> then um, we had Sonata losing to Bad Luck Fale in 1038 with an inside cradle. So Fale goes to four and five. It's not a drops to four and five. Yeah, this is back to shit for Fale. Uh, I went to, I went with two stars on it, which was even that was probably generous. Um, it was really just out of respect for Sonata, like doing everything he could to try to make something out of this match. I mean, he ran all over the place. He di- he did dives on multiple people on the floor. He had an exchange <laughs> with Chase Owens on the ring that was way better than the actual fucking match. <laughs> but like, as far as Fale just didn't want to get do anything in this match. Like he did a fucking two long nerve holds in a row, and it's like, buddy, this is fucking Budokan Hall. Like, I, it didn't even make any sense to me because I've seen him try harder on, like, other fucking matches. Like, he just didn't seem like he was in the mood to do anything. I'm like, okay, it's Budokan, buddy. Could try a little bit harder than this, but whatever. Uh, it wasn't good. It was not Fale's worst match, but that's only because Sonata tried very hard to make anything out of it. It mostly failed, but I gave him two stars for effort. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I think it was close to his worst match, though. Uh this one, uh, this was one of the only ones where I was, because eh, at this point I, I'm similar. This is uh, the final A Block night. Uh, I expected a little bit more. Um, not that I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so this was one one of the only times where I was like, whatever, like, like that. That's not necessarily acceptable because he he could do better. Um, Sonata did did try and work around him, but didn't really work out. So, yeah, I didn't rate it, but it would be around that two star range for me. Um, I didn't, I wasn't as bothered by this match, um, though I still, if I get, if I was considering it with the other falling matches, I probably have it, I probably have it in his bottom half, though I wouldn't, it would not be like, you know, the worst or second worst or maybe even the third worst. I'd, I'd say it's firmly in the middle. Um, I didn't, I, I it, it was, it was okay. I, I didn't hate it that much, so I just, I just, the only, the only good thing is that I continue the story of Fale winning uh, matches with wrestling moves, and that's, uh, that's really the only highlight. And I, and I guess too, um, Chase Owens and Jado getting tied in the Paradise Lock right before the finish, and then Jado Balak Fale almost forgetting Chase after the fact and having to go back in to get him out. That was, that was pretty funny, but you know, obviously that was, uh, that was after the match. So, who, what, if you all look back, what? What is I already told you my my favorite Fale match and the only one that made my list was was the Archer match. Did you all have yeah, a different one that was, that was, that was higher no, that was rated? Highest, that was my highest rated Fale match too. Yeah, was that was my highest rated okay. Fale match as well. Yeah, for me it was three and a quarter. So. Right. Um, okay, so that means the next match was Kenta and Zack Saber Jr. with Kenta beating Zack in sixteen twenty six with the ZSJ style arm bar. Zach beat Kenta. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, they have it wrong on the New Japan site. Bullshit. Zach beat Kenta in 1626 with the ZSJ style <laughs> uh, That moves Zach to four and five and dropped Kenta to four and five. Um, so first of all, I have a note here that says, Crowd really got on Kenta for not giving Zach a clean break and trying to kick his head off. Very weird hearing Kenta get booed in this building especially. If only I knew what with what, what was to come two days later, booed <laughs> a lot more. But uh, yeah, he this is when he first started playing into the booze, which in hindsight I guess 
was a clue, but not one I picked up on at the time. Um, but yeah, there's like there was a spot too where like Kenta hit like a a very weak flying clothesline, and that kind of sums up I think what his issues are were in the tournament. Where like he'll be going along pretty well in a match, maybe even really well, and then he'll just hit a move that looks like super awkward and weak. And I think he just needs to do a better job of like figuring out his own limitations now at this point. Like that's what I would like to see from him more in the future is like not attempt stuff that just is not going to look good at this point. Um, But yeah, a lot of the presence is still there and he still has a lot of the subtle charisma um, and he's able to hit people a lot harder, which is what really helped him in this tournament in general. Uh, And there was like a really badass streak exchange at the end when Kenta like told Zach to hit him and then instead just like ducked and hit like this super, sick counter slap and that's like a, a really great subtle heel type of uh type of move there but yeah like the crowd liked that zach tapped him out like the crowd was behind zach which was like really funny to, to see and then you know, there's some people out there who will tell you that like japanese crowds always cheer for the japanese person and they always cheer against the american or the white person and it's like not really i mean they they plenty of plenty of japanese crowds will cheer for the the uh the foreigner when they prefer the foreigner and this is a great example where like they even though zach obviously zach spent a lot of years in noah too but they view zach as like their guy now and they still view kenta as like an outsider so they were like really behind zach here um but yeah i thought this is a really great match and I, I went four stars flat on it um you know the stuff that was bad definitely dragged it down a little bit but i thought i thought it was a good cap to the tournament for both guys yeah, I I went four and a quarter on it. I really enjoyed some of the stuff that some of the stuff they did in this match. I uh, thought it was interesting that you brought up that uh, diving clothesline that Kenta does because honestly, I that was one of the things he did throughout the tournament that I just never thought looked really good. Yeah, I don't know, it just didn't didn't look that impressive at all. I over time. Um, uh, yeah, I I did not mind Zach beating Kenta here. I know some people were a little upset by it, but. Um, I, I, I didn't mind it. It also helped, you know, Zach get up to eight points, which, you know, as we, you know, we look at the final standings, a lot of people ended up at eight points in the A block. Um, no, I I didn't have any issue with the result, and I thought was, the match was pretty good. Yeah, I, would, I wish Kenta would have won, but uh, really good. Uh, the, I, uh, I agree with uh, a lot of what both of you said. I went four flat. Um, I think this is probably my favorite Zach match of the tournament, all things considered. I think he was a little bit more uh, snug here, and I think you know he almost was sort of fighting for survival here because Kenta kind of ran through the tournament while some of his moves would look weak. He, he was still trying to have that aura and that that previous Kenta uh, side of, of really dominating the matches offensively uh, and using his you know his ferocity and his kicks and everything um, to his advantage. And, and so you really had Zach basically kind of. He, being tricky, but also kind of fighting for his life in a way. Kent just wants to take off his head. Um, and, and that's sometimes where I think Zach is. Uh, Zach's really good when he's a dickhead, uh, but he's also good when he has to, to be a little tricky in that way. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. I thought Kent looked pretty fierce. Um, yeah, four flat for me. Um, one of my favorite for both of them for the, for the tournament. Semi-main event and the match on this show most likely to get me in trouble. Will Ospreay <laughs> defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi in 17-12 with the Stormbreaker, moving Will to 4-5 and, and dropping Tana to 4-5. and five. 
Um, I'm not going to like push this point home a lot because I don't want to get any one-star iTunes reviews. I'm just going to say the problem I have with this match, even though there are parts of it that were really spectacular, and I don't, I don't think anyone would deny that, is I thought Will Ospreay's leg selling was like super, super, super inconsistent in this match where you know he would do... I, I, I just wish they hadn't done a leg match at all, and I get why in character it makes sense that they would. Like, Tanahashi would try to slow this man down. But the problem was, like, you know, Will... Will doesn't have, like, a medium gear on anything. So his idea of selling the leg is, like, doing, like, all this picture-perfect, like, Sasuke special to the floor and all these moves over and over again, like, perfectly. And after landing perfectly from whatever the move is, he's, like, grabbing his leg like he just got shot in the shot by a sniper. Like, that's what it felt like to me. It's like, okay, I just did this Sasuke special, and now, like, oh, God, my leg. So it just really didn't work for me at all. Um you know, took me out of the match completely. There's one point too where like he, you know, he he's like they, he did a bunch of moves. There's a long sequence. Tanahashi hadn't touched the fucking leg in maybe at, at least three minutes, maybe like five minutes, and suddenly Oscar was like hopping up and down to get to the top rope. And I'm like, buddy, he hasn't even touched your fucking leg. Why are you hopping on the other leg when your leg was just fine two seconds ago? And Tanahashi hasn't even touched you. But and then he hops the top rope, but of course he does a perfect fucking leaping shooting star press. So I don't know. Like people can call that nitpicking if they want. I just can't go higher than three and a half on a match where one of the guys just like couldn't actually do what I think was required to be done for the, the story they were trying to tell. So anyway, go ahead, tell me tell me what an asshole I am, Sean. Um <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think you're an asshole at all. I, it's, it's, it's your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. Um, Thank you. you know, it's it's always been. I guess my view recently that you know, wrestling is very much an art form, and much like you know, a painting or a sculpture, you know, people interpret works of art differently. Um, where one person might not really <laughs> like something, I, I I might really like it, and and it's but that's but that's true though. You know, wrestling wrestling is an art form. And Sean, art. with a very long winded way of saying, John, you are an asshole. <laughs> no, John, I, I I I'll let Sean continue, but I'm I'm much more in your camp than a lot of the internet right now on this match, so it's okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> like, I, I have exactly one person in my corner. It's awesome. Um. No, I, I mean, I I am one of the people who really uh, love this match. Um, you know, the leg, and I guess this goes in general, the leg stuff is always really interesting to me or when somebody works over a leg in a match. Um, because maybe this is just me, me. I think other people have mentioned this before. But I, I've sort of subscribed to this whole uh, theory that, you know, somebody might be working over a body part, but the uh, execution of, you know, like Osprey of high flying moves and whatnot could be explained away via, you know, the being in the moment, the adrenaline, you know, helps you get through it. And, you know, he might be feeling it afterwards, but just being in that atmosphere helps him, you know, power through it, even though it's, you know, it might be bothering him. And I, and I, I guess as far as the leg, I, I'm not, you know, someone who thinks that, you know, uh, if somebody hits you with a couple of dragon screws, you should be, you know, limping around, you know, struggling to, you know, w- even walk or do anything. I think that just comes from, maybe that comes from my 
days of playing the oddly enough this is an odd comparison but you know my days of playing the uh smackdown versus raw games when i was a kid where you had the little uh body part map on the on the you know upper corner of the screen <laughs> you're facing someone and you know it doesn't you know your opponents like if you're working over a leg in the game it doesn't take you know three moves for their you know uh body part to turn red you really have to work on it like over and over and over again so you know tanahashi hitting, hitting like three dragon screws on Osprey. I don't think it's going to, you know, totally prevent Osprey from doing anything. Um, no, no, see, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I would have had less of a problem if he had blown off the fucking leg completely than if he had kept going back to it right after he hit like a million moves in a row. Like that's what really, really bothered me. Right. So I want to clarify that. Like if he had, if, if he had stopped fucking selling the leg at some point, it wouldn't have been as bad. I mean, still would have been, you know, I still would have taken points off for it probably, but I wouldn't have been like completely taken out of the fucking match the way I was when he was like right. doing a million moves in a row and then suddenly like, but wait, now I'm hopping up and down for some reason. So. Yeah, I, I don't mind, I don't mind like Osprey like doing moves and then like, you know, just like, you know, pun- punching his leg a little bit or like trying to feel it out a little bit. Maybe the hopping was, that's probably a little too much <laughs> considering, you know, Unless it's something where, like, your leg, like, uh, like Ibushi or Juice, where your leg was already pretty damaged coming in, that's that's a more believable situation for that. So, I guess maybe you know the 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 one bit where he was hopping might have been a little too much. But like when he when he does a move and then he just sort of like you know feels at his leg or you know punches it a little bit to try to get the feeling back, like that that part of it doesn't bother me. But maybe the hopping was a little too much. Uh, any other thoughts on the match, Sean? Since like I rudely cut you off there. I'm no, sorry. no, I thought it was great, and I think you know, obviously, I think a lot of people had before the tournament started predicted that Okada was going to be the big scalp for Osprey, um, or I guess at least some people did. But um, I'm very surprised that they actually did have him beat Tanashi clean, and that you know, obviously, that tells you what they think of Will Osprey if he's beating you know. Roshi Tanahashi clean in the middle of the ring in uh, Budokan Hall. I see. I, I I thought he was gonna. I thought he was going to honestly. And I think it also, as much as it says something about Osprey, which it clearly does. I don't want to take anything away from that. I mean, the man is like getting pushed. It also to me says something about where Tanahashi is going to be for the rest of the year, leading into Russell Kingdom. <laughs> like, I just serious. I just, he goes away. Uh, well, it's it, where he goes every year after. I mean, uh, other than last year, right? I just think he's gonna, yeah, he's gonna be maybe uh, maybe going to Jericho Land or something, but he's clearly not gonna be like a big deal going into Russell Kingdom. What'd you think of this, Andy? I didn't get a chance to talk about this. Uh, yeah, I mean, so so I watched this match uh, two and a half times, uh, which I can't say about any other match. Uh, the first time I watched it, I didn't like it. Um, I thought it was pretty boring, and I was seeing people throwing around four and three quarters uh, and, and even higher for some of our, our compatriots uh, here, but uh, I just didn't see it. I thought it was, was just another kind of Will Ospreay match, seemed like he's going through the motions, and I agree about the selling aspects. Uh, second time I watched it, I liked it a bit more, and I can kind of forgive uh, inconsistent selling in this day and age, uh, especially in regards to a wrestler like an Osprey or an Omega or a Kanosuke Takashita or someone who who is really does does kind of have these epic matches with these big moves. Um, uh, these people who I don't I don't know it's not my favorite style of wrestling, but it's also I view it kind of as you know these big action Michael Bay style movies, and uh, it's kind of dumb. And I 
can turn my brain off and enjoy them, but they're never going to reach like the highs uh, in my favorite category as, as some other uh, matches. Um, so I, I turned around a little bit. I like this. It did make my list on the lower end, but uh, I, I did think it was good. Just not, not nearly match of the tournament or even the best match for either of these guys. So what was your star rating? Come on. I made the list. Three and three quarters. Okay. So you had a quarter star higher than me. Yeah, so we're about, we're about the same, basically. I mean, I could have been nice to give it a three and three quarters, but the fucking, if he hadn't done that goddamn hopping, it's really the hopping that, like, really ruined it for me that I uh-huh. would have gone higher. Uh, uh, hopping, in, hopping in the faces. <laughs> Okada, <laughs> Okada and Kota Ibushi, the main event, uh, Kota Ibushi defeating Okada in 2507. Uh, that made them both seven and two, but Kota advances because he beat Okada. In this match, so moved on to the final. Um, so this is the what I like to call the rare, disappointing four and a half star match. I mean, we're like I, I don't know if I was expecting higher, or if it was just like my expectations were just too fucking high. I mean, it was still an amazing, awesome fucking match, but like, you know, I just for the tournament both guys had, I, I sort of expected like five stars, and it's clear now. They're doing another one of these matches down the line. So, you know, I get it. Like, as yeah. far as, like, why it couldn't quite get to that level and they need to save some stuff. Um, but, like, you know, still, I mean, you know, I'm, it's nitpicky to say that about four and a half. I mean, like, the only, to me, it's almost more to say, like, why this wasn't five than anything. And it's like, the first 15 minutes just felt like too inconsequential. They weren't bad and they weren't boring, but they just didn't feel like they built anything. Um, and the match quote unquote only went 25 minutes. So like, I don't know when they went those 15, I thought they were going to go like 29 30 or something. And then it just kind of ended and felt almost like, well, why didn't we get like another three minutes in this epic new Japan main event style? Um, but the entire physics stretch was still one of the best of the year. Um, you know, there was there was a spot where, like, you know, these things can get really o- overly choreographed at times. But there was, like, a spot where like, Ibushi, you know, was going for the Kamigoe and Okada just grabs his leg out of, like, pure fucking desperation and just won't let go of it. And it was like, what a great spot because, like, that – the, instead of doing these, like, overly choreographed, overly sometimes hokey – and I think Jay White was probably the biggest uh, – one guilty of this, like New Japan fishing sequences, you just had a guy, you know, doing something so fucking simple to to break up the common goay. So that really, really worked for me. Um, and then there, there was like this really nuts like counter where Okada went to do like the his big high drop kick, and Ibushi just turned it into the, this cool. minute power bomb. That was so cool. There was so any there was a drop yeah, kick counter. The dropkick counter, the bomb yay was awesome. I mean, just a really, really strong finishing stretch. Uh, I like Ibushi's like kicks when he like does the high kicks now to get right into the finishing stretch where he like just kicks the shit out of you before he puts you away, which you know is really, really, really cool spot. But yeah, I mean, four and a half star. Like I said, the rare disappointing four and a half star match, but you know, still an amazing match. <laughs> yeah, I think this was. Um, it might be. Honestly, even including the final, the, the to me the most main event feeling match of the whole tournament. Um, it felt very epic. The crowd was very. I mean, the crowd in Budokan the whole, the whole time was for for all three nights. We'll talk about that. Where you know we're, we're ravenous. They were great uh, for most of most of the tournament. Um, 
but yeah, I, I love this. I love both of these wrestlers. They both are uh, in the top five as far as performers for me for the tournament. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I do think you're right. And, and that it, it set the table uh, for them to have another uh, big match here coming up. And uh, they'll you know, be, definitely be shooting for the five-star uh, match there. Um, I can definitely understand the, the disappointing aspect of it, but it was still uh, definitely in my top five favorite matches of the tournament. And uh, anytime Ibushi gets super kick happy, uh, I can really get into that. And, and Okada on the whole, um, if Jay White is kind of hokey with the, with the reversal spots, I think he's one of the, the best, uh, as we said, with Evil as well. And so having someone as smooth as Ibushi and someone as, as generally as smooth as Okada, even if he has lost a step here and there uh, this year compared to maybe years past, um, it was just a really great classic kind of New Japan main event that could have, you know, been the main event of any big new japan show of the last like three or four years what do you think sean so yeah i think it's uh says a lot about both these guys that they were you know still able to have an incredible main event while also holding back and saving stuff for a future match um you know just incredible stuff from both guys the two spots you guys already mentioned uh the uh Drop kick counter into the power bomb, and then the uh, uh, the uh, bomb yay that was countered by the drop kick, which was you know enhanced even more by the uh, the way the camera shot it. You know, just puts over the fact that you know New Japan's production is really is really spectacular on stuff like that. Um, and you know, yeah, it's pretty much you know just two of the top performers of the tournament having a great match and uh, setting the stage for. The you know it set you know the first half of the final and then obviously as we would later find out it sort of served as a preview for Wrestle Kingdom. Okay, so over I mean overall fucking great show, obviously. I mean, yeah, I think great. actually this might be my looking at ratings. This may be my show of the tournament. Maybe it's ranked. It's tied for. Th- uh, oh god, I have, I have pretty far. It's like it's really dragged down, I guess, by the fucking. Uh, it's like tied for a le- for folly match. It's tied for like eleventh on my average. But I'm like, how the fuck is this show eleventh? I would probably put it like top five easy, maybe top three. So, okay. like, there's two shows that got fucked over by folly. This one's one of them, <laughs> and the other one's like one of the A block Corkins. So that's that's uh, kind of the advantage yeah. of my system versus yours, where I only rate. The, the high end stuff. Yeah. So so I have four matches that made my sheet from this, and I think only one other night do I have that. I might this might be the only one with four matches that made my my. Oh nope, July twentieth, yeah. whichever one. Uh, that's Okada Osprey night. That's the the only other one that had four. I mean, the problem, like I said, with it too, is that all these shows are so close together that like right. just it, having one bad match. Yeah. Like there's there's exactly <laughs> one show on the entire list. Like basically, my the average star rating list. I have one show that top four, which is that Yokohama show, and then everything else except for one other show is between three point four five and three point nine five. So that's mm. like seventeenth to second. So that's half a star. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> which is ridiculous. There's a, of, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of stuff that's all like around three point seven too. The only show that I actively disliked, and this this one the average rating really like. Matches up was night eleven uh, in Takamatsu, which is uh, what, the what's the date? What's the date of that one? Let me look it up. Hold on. So that was um, 
well, I can't tell you what the matches were. That was the Evil Tanahashi match, which was the only match I went above four on. But it also had Folly and Ibushi, which I hated. And, uh, so July, Kenton, July 30th, yeah. Yeah, Kenton Sonata, which was bad. Um, Osprey and Zack, which I was disappointed by. Mm-hmm. Uh, Okada and Archer. So it was just not a good show. Yeah. Uh, and that one's like a 2.9 average. So that's like my one show that doesn't fall in this crazy range. So I actually really like that show. Okay, well. Not, <laughs> that was I, the only show. I, I would not, I don't think I would have it in my top like seven or eight, but I did really like it. Uh, I think. The- well, most people liked. Most people liked Osprey ZSJ a lot more than I did. So if you did, then I totally get why you'd have that show a lot higher. But I and I and I am and I am one of those people. Yeah. Uh, but I think on that show I had like I I obviously really liked that match and the Tanahashi uh, Evil match. But I also really liked the Okada Archer match as well. So that probably helped it a lot for me too. Um, but everything else, like I said, really tightly packed together. So we need to talk now about a topic. That I don't know if I have it in me to be fiery about. If we record this a few days ago, <laughs> I would have still been very fired up. But let me go back to Sunday morning, August 11th, the day of the B-Block final at Nippon Budokan, because I woke up in the morning and you know I turned to my girlfriend who was like already awake, and she already ba- she knew basically what today was that this was Naito Day basically, and even though she's not a fan, she knew like she she was aware how important this was to me. She was aware of the various scenarios for how he gets through. She was aware of like, you know, what's going on. And I'm like, I just basically told her, I'm like, I really want to look this up before I watch it, even though I know I shouldn't do that. But like, I don't want to fucking sit through the entire show, not knowing. And finally she's like, I'm just going to look it up. Cause I want to know. And she looks it up and she makes a face. I'm like, Oh, he fucking lost didn't he? And she's like, yeah. uh, yeah. And she's like, not only did he lose, he lost in like the stupidest way possible. And I guess she meant like, in other words, she didn't get, he didn't just get knocked out by Moxley. He got knocked out in the main after he could have gone through. So, you know, people saw my Twitter thread that day. Um, you know, I got, I had a lot of people dunking on me on Twitter over that, which I understand. I, I, like I, like I said, I was sincerely very angry for like five minutes. I'm going to say five minutes. I was very angry after that. It was more like, uh, depression, resignation, uh, you know, just accepting the fact that this is, this thing is never going to happen. Now, a few days later, there's, there have been developments that make it like, well, maybe Naito's still in this in a weird way. And that's also where I feel like they're probably building me up for false hope again. But, like, so I'm not quite as angry as I was two days ago when it felt like, okay, well, he's done. He's not doing anything at Wrestle Kingdom that's going to even take him close to the title. So we can talk about that afterwards. I mean, you, you probably have already heard about it if you're listening to the show. But um, So that is a mitigating factor. But the day of the show, I mean, it took me, like, six hours to actually get around to watching this. I was still very upset and still very sad. And, you know, I, ha- I feel like I need to come, come out there and speak up for Naito fans because I feel like we get a – we get we get too much shit, and in this case, we got a lot of shit that I didn't think we deserved. Obviously, I follow a lot of Naito fans on Twitter. I talk to a lot of Naito fans in in both countries, in America and Japan. And you would think, from listening to people, and I'm gonna I'm gonna single out Joe Lanza because he did a he did a Patreon episode right after his B Block night where he said some stuff I'm gonna very much disagree with. And, you know, I hope he listens to the show and he can tell me if he disagrees with my disagreement. 
But, you know, some people on Twitter, too, again, saying, you know, why are Nitro fans so sad? What do Nitro fans have to be sad about? Blah, 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 blah. Nitro fans are babies. Like, look, you're talking about a fan base. There's, there, there's a lot of stuff I need to push back on. First of all, this idea, and Joe said this. Joe said, you know, basically, uh, Nitro fans are entitled. Nitro fans, Tetsuya Naito's not uh, entitled to a an ace run. Um, you know, Naito... You might not, not be coming. They have to get over it, blah, 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 blah. This is not a fan base rallying around Yoshihashi, Yoshihashi and deciding that he needs an IWGP heavyweight title run. This is not a fan base doing something that the company itself is not designing them to do. This is the part that really fucking infuriates me when people talk about it. The company teases this year after year. They set it up so Naito, obviously, when he went to fucking Wrestle Kingdom, when everybody thought he was going to be, beat Okada and then just lost. And that's that's not even arguable, I think. I mean, everybody, I think, agrees that everyone expected Naito to win that, and then he just didn't. Fine. They had him, you know, make this big recovery in the, in the, uh, in the G1 last year after he lost to Omega on the first night. He was chasing Omega the entire time. He goes into the final night with a chance to go on, and they just haven't given fucking pinned by Zach like a geek, but everybody that was set up for where, okay, Naito can move on. It's not like people made that out of, made that up out of midair. It's not like a lot of people didn't think Naito either could or would win that G1. That was something the company did to string you along and make you think Naito had a chance and then took it away on the last night to build heat for another Zach match in November. So again, you're talking about people reacting to something the company did, not making shit up out of thin air. So that's number that's number two. This year, even more clear because they had Naito go out, start with the two, two those two losses. They had him lose to Moxley to you know that big shocker, and then he has to go on this miracle run to recover. He goes to the main event against the most hated heel in the company. Um, you know he has everything break his way. Moxley loses, so it's win and move on. And they just have him fucking you know eat the goddamn Blade Runner and get pinned. You know, especially they have him get pinned clean when Jay White. You know, need a fucking the the entire starting lineup of a fucking football team to beat everybody else, but now all of a sudden Naito can get pinned clean. So yes, people were upset that they got strung along, um, you know, over and over and over again, again, and got beat by J. You know, had to watch Naito get beat by Jay White. They're not making it up out of thin air. New Japan pushed this two belt narrative, this Naito two belt thing, from the day after the wrestle after Wrestle Kingdom. So everybody thought this was a possibility. If you don't do that Naito two belt thing, if you just let Naito, if Naito is basically, because I hear the comparison of Nakamura all the time, and it's bullshit because Nakamura, I, I lived through the Nakamura stuff. Nakamura never went on, went on fucking post-match promos and talked about how he's going to be Nakamura two belt. He's going to win the heavyweight title, be the first guy to ever win both titles. He just would occasionally lose the white title and go to the G1 final and lose. And he would go back and win the white title again. And it would just be on and on and on. It wasn't the same thing. And he already had like three heavyweight title reigns at that point anyway. Naito, it's like they give you this false hope. They give you the story that makes you think it's leading somewhere. And then over and over again, they yank the rug out from under from everybody. And they tell you, well, you know, it's just not good time. It's Ibushi's time. It's Tanahashi's time. It's Kenny's time. You know, 
of course, people, if you build them up and build them up and build them up and string them along, they're going to be upset every time you yank the fucking rug out from under them. So people getting mad at Naito fans, people saying Naito fans are entitled. Oh, why do you think this guy is entitled to an ace run? No one fucking cares at this point if he has a year-long title reign. You pretty much ask any Naito fan on the entire face of the fucking planet. Tell them Tetsuya Naito gets to win and the main event at Wrestle Kingdom next year. Gets to win both belts and be the double champion, but he has to lose the heavyweight title a month later. I guarantee fucking you, every single Naito fan you talk to would take that deal. People are just looking for like a little bit of a release, a little bit of something at the end, like a light at the end of this tunnel to make this three-year fucking journey mean something at the end. And maybe it's not going to mean anything. Maybe he's just going to lose all the time. Maybe we're all being strung along for nothing. But then to tell Naito fans, like you're basically telling them, not only do you have to eat shit, but you better like it, motherfuckers, or else we're going to fucking go on our podcast or we're going to go on Twitter and complain about you. That's where I take a, I have a strong problem with it. So I think people are very unfair to Tetsuya Naito fans. I don't think they're asking for anything unreasonable when the promotion builds up all the time. This is not everybody getting together and deciding that Taichi has to win and be champion for three years, okay? That's not what it is. So when people treat it like it is that, it does get me worked up. And I do think people are very unreasonable to Naito fans. So that's my big rant. Um, I don't guess I don't really have much time. <laughs> you thought you didn't have the energy for it. <laughs> it finally came back to me after I started thinking about it. But yeah, um, so I, obviously I was very upset here. We'll talk about the show itself now, I guess. Uh, start with Toriano and Jeff Cobb. Uh, Jeff Cobb defeated Toriano in 518 with the Tour of the Islands. Uh, this is pretty, you know, it was whatever. It wasn't really much to it. Why don't you say something, Andy? I'm very out of breath. <laughs> I don't remember much about this match. It was, yeah, very whatever. That's kind of how it was. Uh, fine, I guess, but... Uh... I like when Yano wins uh, in matches. That's how, that's how I remember them. When Yano loses, even though even if they're funny, uh, they're not memorable. And Jeff Cobb, for all intents and purposes, is not a, a funny guy. So I uh, don't think he handled it too well. And I think it was probably just a, a match. What do you uh, think, something that was uh, stuck out to me a lot at the beginning was uh, when the referee was taking out all those rolls of tape out of Yano's trunks. And uh, ah, yeah. I, I, I think I think at one point Chris Charlton made an erection joke, <laughs> saying that Naito must or not Naito uh, Yano must be very excited. Um, so that, that that was certainly something. Um, I also thought it was pretty pretty cool, pretty unique how Yano sort of tied uh, Cobb's hands within his own trunks, his own singlet. That was that was pretty funny, but uh, yeah, n- nothing much really to it here. I mean, Jeff Cobb got the win uh, to get his point total up a little bit, and uh, nothing really much else to say beyond that. It was, it was a meaningless match. Uh, after that, we had Taichi defeating Tomohiro Ishii in 11:56 with the Black Mephisto. Um, this match, this was the one good thing basically about uh, my Sunday. Uh, this really like brought me back to life just watching this match. Um, you know, Taichi. Taichi went out there and just fucking fought this man. There was no bullshit at all. He There was at one point where he did that last ride powerbomb, and instead of doing that, like, humiliation cover he does, where he, like, leans all the way over the guy and lays on him, like, I don't know, like, they're about to fuck, honestly, he, he just covered him like a normal person. And it's like that 
that kind of like little subtle thing was like, which I don't even know if everybody picked up on, was like just like it basically encapsulated the match. Like he was taking this so seriously, and he was showing like you know I can do this. I can do a twelve minute fucking brawl where I just kick the shit out of somebody. I, I just choose not to do it. And I think that almost which they teased before with the the in the New Japan Cup in the second round where Ishi, where Taichi lost, where he stood and traded with Ishii most of the way and ended up losing the match. I think having him go out there and do it even more and not cheat at all and just beat Ishii is great character development for him. And it makes it it almost makes it now when he does cheat, it's like I mean, Liger got really mad at him the next night. And it's like, when he does do cheat and does do bullshit, it's like, well, we know, we know you're fucking great. We know you can go out there and just have fucking awesome matches if you want to and just kick somebody's ass. So why are you still bothering with all this bullshit? But yeah, I thought this was just amazing. Uh, I went four and a half on it. When he, he fucking like, the, the end of the match where he just, Ishii like goes for this desperation and Zagiri. Uh, Taichi just fucking completely no-sells it. Hits a super kick and hits the Black Mephisto and pins him. Like, I jumped out of my seat and I was like, you know, to, to get me up and cheering after that, after the Naito shit was quite something. So, awesome match. And I can't wait to see them hopefully fight again in the future. John, I'm sure you're happy that this was the match that finally got Dave Meltzer to admit that Tai Chi was good. <laughs> yes. He, he, I, I actually listened to that today. I heard him. Uh, he, he said he he's turned a corner on Tai Chi. He actually said his whole tournament was good, but he said yeah. this match especially was was great. So yeah, and I think it, this you know this could sort of served as a little bit of a uh, continuation of the story from the New Japan Cup match, where you know Tai Chi you know at one point in that match sort of teased using stuff and then just threw it down and you know fought Ishii, and then this time he just fought Ishii straight up, and it was pretty great. I went four and a half on it as well. Uh, tai Chi's best match of the tournament, and it's uh, no surprise that it would come against Tishi. Um, and yeah, no, I think Tai Chi, you know, obviously he uses all the bullshit, and whatnot, but he's proven a couple times in this tournament, you know, like this match with the Ishii, the match with Shingo, that you know, when he, when he can or when he's in a situation where he needs to go, he can he can go. Um, and yeah, no, this is definitely his highlight of the tournament for sure. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, great. I mean, uh, not the best Ishii match. Uh, probably the best Taichi match of the tournament. Four and a quarter for me, so still very, very high. Um, I think if you take, uh, you know, your fandom of Taichi and, and Sean generally grades maybe a little bit higher than than I do on, uh, you know, very high quality matches. I think we're all basically in line with with you know similar ratings and how we feel where it stands overall in the tournament. But uh, awesome sprint, awesome to see uh, Taichi really work in that. Uh, Main event. It's not a main event, but a big heavyweight style. Uh, really, really brought it here. So uh, I loved it. Just like I think, I think uh, basically universally, everyone loved this match. So yeah, I haven't even seen like I, I haven't seen a single person hate it. Even people that normally yeah. hate on Tai Chi. Yep. Yep. Uh, Juice I mean, Robinson. even who, who in our in our uh, in our uh, Slack, uh, Rob Robin Reed also loved it. It was a very notorious tight, not notorious, but also very anti Tai Chi. So yeah, uh, I think it was Rob. Might have been Garrett. It was one of the two that no, don't like Tai Chi. It was, <laughs> it was Rob. Rob. Okay. I haven't seen yeah. Garrett's comments. Garrett's being a coward, I guess, and not telling us <laughs> what he thinks for the match. He's too busy poking uh, team have... gifts. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Juice Robinson and John Moxley. Juice winning in 1626 with the Pulp Friction. Um, so this was a weird one. I just found it pretty dull for a while. It just didn't land with me at all. And then it improved 
I basically I tweeted that, and then immediately after I tweeted that, it got pretty good. So you know, I just tweeted that too early, I guess. Um, it only really recovered enough to be three and three quarters for me, but I did like it quite a bit by the end. Yeah, uh, just missed just missed my list. Sorry, Sean. Uh, just uh, missed my no, list, but, re- but really, really liked it. I think um, this is definitely one of the more uh, WWE style matches, maybe of the tournament. Um, and so, if you're more into kind of uh, the Western entertainment style, uh, still like the hard hitting stuff, uh, but more like ECW or early. Um, NWA style things or whatever. Uh, it was it, it was good, but there were definitely some dull moments. I think this was uh, you know a, a really competent pro wrestling match. Um, outside of New Japan, this would be a highlight of, of, of many a shows, but but not in the midst of the G one, I guess. Um, I went four and a quarter on it. Obviously, I didn't think it was as good as their uh, their title match from uh, the best of the Super Junior Finals, uh, but I still really enjoyed it. Uh, sort of as I uh, alluded to earlier, I liked the story of uh, how Juice just uh, just refused to use uh, weapons when Moxley brought them out. Uh, I thought it was funny how, uh, for for once, uh, somebody putting a table back under the ring actually got cheers. Because normally, especially in you know North America, it's you know you get you would get like booed out of the building if you put a table back under the ring. Um, and yeah, I know the result was pretty much as we expected. Uh, Juice gained the win, and it sets up the rematch between Juice and Mox for whenever and wherever they decide to do it. I do think the visual of Juice getting choked out and you know suffocating basically was was really good. And again, going back to to quality New Japan work, Juice really sold that really well. You know, shades of of when uh, Suzuki choked out Goto. Uh, Woods that couple of Wrestle Kingdoms ago, you know, on the top rope and everything, and I really thought that that was uh, an excellent spot. And Juice is just so good at playing babyface and peril in that ray. So uh, I love that aspect. Um, and then John, you posted the, uh, which I don't ever watch the promos really, unless you you uh, post them. But you sent along the uh, post match promo, which was awesome on both accounts. So uh, I love this feud and, and hope they continue. Yeah, I mean, Moxie's promos have been awesome all tournament, which is yeah. makes it quite funny given what he was doing before this. But you know. <laughs> like I said, while he was so goofy in WWE, he was still you know like a top three or even top top promo in that company. Even though he's lapping his himself, what he was doing there. So, have you you know how many times I've watched the start of that uh, that promo from last year where he does the injections just because like the look, the look on if they, I may they didn't take that off of YouTube after he did that, that interview. Yeah. I, I guess for Jericho, yeah. we talked about that promo, but like if you go back and watch it, like he has this look on his face, like I really hate my life. I hate everything I've done <laughs> yeah. to get to this point and I want to be anywhere else. And it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm but, loving him and loving him outside of that company. It's great. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it really makes you wonder you know, from both an in-ring and a promo standpoint, especially in-ring, though, because like you said, promos, I mean, even though, you know, he would be bad at times because everybody there is bad, like he was the best of the bunch, probably. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised the promos are great. I am surprised, like, how fucking good he was in the ring in this tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not a guy I ever thought of as a top worker in, in WWE. I mean, like, I thought of him as, you know, mid to bottom, basically. And for him to come out of that company and have a tournament where he's like got a four, like over a 4.0 star rating average. I'm like, who the fuck else in that company is 
like hiding in there basically like who needs just less producers in their ear and less like bullshit and could do this in a, in a G1, you know? And I mean, like it says a lot maybe about a lot of the hidden, the hidden gems that are probably on that roster. That we oh just yeah. Don't we all talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Definitely. It's like what there used to be the old talking point. This is terrible now because of where he is, I guess. And uh, I think Sean, you watch WWE a little bit more than, than both of us, but uh, just, Dolph Ziggler, like that used to be the talking point like four or five years ago. If Dolph Ziggler left WWE, he is main eventing PWG like the next night, which I think that might be bullshit, but like that's kind of like the same the same idea. There is a lot of, of excellent workers there that are super hampered. Yeah, and it's like it just it really, if anything, it just really drives home how terrible the modern WWE style is. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I know people don't like mm-hmm. hearing things just like that, clear cut, but the, the modern main roster main event style is, is just bad. I mean, there's no other way to say AJ Styles it. and Ricochet have had subsequent two star matches, according to the internet. So that's that's crazy. <laughs> it, just yeah. fucking, it just fucking sucks. I mean, it just yeah. fucking sucks. There's nothing crazy. else to say about it. I said subsequent. Uh, I meant successive. <laughs> I wish the main event was next. I could say, speaking of things that fucking suck, but it's <laughs> not. That is Goto and Shanko, which did not fucking suck. Rock. Uh, yeah. Shanko beat Goto in fifteen ten to with the last of the dragon. Um, I went four and a quarter. It was pretty fucking awesome the only little complaints i had were like there it was pretty boring early on especially for what i expected there was like a long goto chin lock that felt like really unnecessary but once they really got going they really got going i mean like there was a there was basically one one lariat by shingo where like goto like charged up his like his little charging kick and shingo just like burst up and like larried him and that was just so fucking awesome um, oh yeah. So yeah, four and a quarter for me. This was really great. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe could be even better. And it sounds like they're going to fight again. So maybe they will have an even better match down the line. But uh, it was really good. So what else can you say? Yeah. After these two matches, uh, it's it's pretty. It would be. It would have been pretty. Uh, it it would have been a good look if Shingo stayed a junior. But thankfully, you know, he confirmed after the match that he's uh, he's going heavyweight as he should. You know. It, victories over if victories over you know uh, Ishii and Goto back to back aren't enough to uh to uh you know prove that you belong in heavyweights then I I really don't know what it is um I really I really love this match and actually ended up uh cracking my top ten the back half of the top ten matches of the tournament for me at the, at the very end there uh just, you know great stuff between these two I I wasn't as bothered by the slow start at the beginning but uh. No, yeah, it was it was just uh, not quite as good as Ishii and Shingo, but just fantastic all the same. Yep, yeah, I love when Goto gets a good dance partner that that he can yeah. get into his flow. Um, I think when Goto's doing well, he's he's definitely one of my most favorite wrestlers to watch in the world, and uh, Shingo basically same. delivered every single night. So uh, this was just was perfect um, in that regard. I mean, four and a quarter, same as John, but. Uh, yeah, uh, not as good as Ishii, not as good as the Naito match for Shingo, but probably his third, maybe fourth best match for me. Um, so not quite as high as, as Sean is, but uh, yeah, awesome match. Um, and uh, yeah, I could watch these guys wrestle over and over again. And I think, uh, Sean, you you kind of included on something, uh, you know, the, the people that Shingo beat um, really kind of lays clear his pathway as a heavyweight and kind of where he's going to belong to me. Um, and uh, that's perfect as the they're hopefully new Japan's going to be continuing to build the never title. And uh, I think he's going to be the champion before long. 
Main event, Jay White defeating Naito in 1851 the Blade Runner. Of course, he <laughs> moves on to the to the finals the next night. Um, the nicest thing I can say here is it wasn't nearly as bad as I was expecting it to be, um, especially the combination of the, the result, uh, White being somebody I wasn't a big fan of in this tournament in general, and I felt like I saw a lot of negative Twitter reaction on the match before I actually watched it. You know, all that together, I thought it was going to be worse than this. I went, I did go three and three quarters. Uh, you know, the problems I have are the, the same kind of problems I have in a lot of white matches, but at least we got a clean finish here, basically. Um, you know, and like, it, there were parts that just were very boring, which is going to happen in a lot of Jay White matches. There were parts that were really cool, like the the flying form reversal into the Uranage looked fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, the, the, the biggest issue I had, other than the... And it's the same issue I have with a lot of Jay White matches. And it's other than the, the Gator interference is the reversal sequence at the end of these matches, it's like reversal overkill. It's like, a, you know, I know that like it's a, that's a thing in New Japan in general, so I get it from that degree. But to me, he's like the new Carl Anderson now where he does the reversal dance too long at the end of his matches. And he does it with like too many, like... It, it, Especially where he's like, he keeps doing that fucking pose with the arm every time he goes to hit the guy with it. And it's like, you do not need to do that to hit this move. So it looks really fucking silly that you keep hitting this pose every time you're not actually going to hit the move. And I guess from his perspective, it's like, well, you know, I don't want to only hit the pose. We're going to hit the move, which fine. But like, just maybe just go for the pose once. And if you can't get the fucking move on that try, don't go for the pose for the rest of the sequence because it just makes the entire thing look fucking stupid. Um, so, you know, it looks like he's square dancing with the guy a lot of the time. And, like, I just don't like that part of part of his matches at all. And I think that's really re- he really needs to get away from that if I'm ever going to find him to be, like, a real top-level worker. I mean, look, he's not bad. I think people think I think he's, like, really awful or something. He's not a bad professional wrestler. He has a lot of cool-looking moves. You know, his selling has gotten a lot better this year. His selling is actually pretty good now. It used to be when he first came back, it wasn't good at all. So his selling is a lot better. He's got um, a beard. Uh, he has a beard, sure. <laughs> and like, goatee. Goatee, and, yeah, sure. And obviously, obviously his character work is great. I mean, like all that stuff is great. He gets he gets actual heel heat, which is hard to do with promotion. If I have two complaints, like I said, I want him to get away from the Gato stuff, which I thought like, he did again on the next night, which we'll, we'll talk about. I think, you know, it's fu- it was good to establish him as a heel, but I, th- I don't think he needs it anymore. And I want him to, like, cut back a little bit on those those ending sequences. If he did those two things, if the ending finishing reversal sequences looked better and there wasn't as much fucking ref bump bullshit, I would like him a lot more. As he is now, he he had one of my weaker G1s. I'm hoping for better things out of him. You know, he, he had some really good matches and just had a lot of stuff that didn't play with me at all. So hopefully he can really keep the momentum from, you know, a good last few matches going. But yeah, I mean, like those are those are my big issues. Three and three quarters. I'll let you go ahead, uh, Andy, since I'm sure you liked this match a lot more than I did. I didn't like it a lot more than you did. I mean, yeah. I gave it four, but I, that means to me that I really liked it. I mean, I, I did enjoy it. I, I'm As you all, I mean, you don't all know, but I did predict a correct final. That's like the only good thing I did in the, the G1 uh, pick em. I finished like 150th, but I uh, <laughs> predicted the, the correct final and winner eventually. Uh, and I actually predicted the, the correct runners-up as well. Um, but it's... Uh, I, I am a Jay White fan, I think. And I think, you know, 
<laughs> if if you got rid of the ghetto stuff, I think more people would be. If that makes sense, um, I think that's that's the a lot of people's main hangup. His look sometimes to a degree uh, for some people, but but I don't. I guess I don't want to really speak. But I, I his offense to me is is really one of my favorite things. I mean, it's it's simple, but it looks really effective. And it's some of my favorite moves. You know, the the back suplex, uh, the the uranagi or sambo suplex or whatever. Um, I even really like the way that even though he goes for it too much, I really like. Uh, when he's wrestling someone like a Naito or a Abushi or someone who takes or Ishi takes the Blade Runner uh, really well, um, I think is a really effective finisher compared to it being used by other wrestlers. Um, so I definitely get the the, the complaints about uh, Jay, um, but but I did enjoy it. Um, and yeah, uh, four stars for me. Um, and he moved on. And while I, I just kind of going back to to you know your. Uh, discussion on Naito and, and Joe and everybody. Um, you know, I I'm somewhere kind of in the middle. I in after Joe posted that, I I mentioned that I actually really agree with some of the the aspects that Joe pointed out, and it's not necessarily to say that you are wrong with your feelings or anybody else uh, with their feelings or or their passions for Naito and Naito fandom. I I think uh, Naito winning is actually the right call, and I think you should be main eventing uh, Wrestle Kingdom. But I think a lot of people like myself don't have that kind of attachment to any kind of wrestler. And so that comes out as more of an indifference and we can't understand people's passion rather than, at least for me, we can't understand that kind of passion towards someone rather than uh, you're a fool for liking someone. At least that's how I approach it. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I think Naito's the right choice, but I'm also, I really like Jay White. So I'm happy Jay White's uh, made it to the finals. So you don't have to rebut, but just want to let yes. you know. No, it's okay. <laughs> what do you think? So I actually had the exact same rating, rating as Andy. I went four flat on it. Um, you mentioned the Carl Anderson comparison with Jay White and the, the Blade Runner stuff. And that that's actually a perfect comparison. Um, and honestly, I think that stuff where, you know, he's doing the sort of Carl Anderson thing of going back and forth with the, you know, trying to counter the finishers and everything – Honestly, I think for me that's probably one of the uh, one of my favorite parts of his matches in general. I I always loved it when Carl Anderson did that when I you know first started watching New Japan uh, through the G One. Um, so I guess it's not too much of, of a surprise. I like when JY does it too. Now you know some are some sequences that he does in that style are obviously you know a little bit better than others, but you know I I tended to like this one i think probably because you know of the, the stakes that were involved with it uh, i remember actually the morning of i managed to wake up like i think right before the match started and you know i was you know on my couch you know still half asleep and it was that part of the match that like really like woke me up uh just you know because i was watching it live and you know the stakes were uh you know the stakes were incredibly high um you know, I guess with the, with the you know, it was a shocking result at the time, but I think it really it was a result that really needs sort of the benefit of hindsight, and, and you know, while we got some hindsight, and sadly we won't you know understand it fully with twenty twenty hindsight until like you know months from now, but you know if Abushi was the planned winner of this thing all along, then I I the Naito probably had to lose to Jay White here just because, you know, sure, uh, Naito Ibushi would have been a great final, 
but I don't think the optics would have been as good if if Naito lost to Ibushi again this year because that would have that would have put him at I think a, he would have had three losses to Ibushi this year. Um, so uh, I, I mean, I guess in a way, again, if if Ibushi was going was you know he obviously was the guy who was going to win, then you you didn't want to have Naito lose to him yet again. Don't think that. Right, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I would never argue that if Abushi's going to win the G1, obviously, and I don't have to lose here. I just think Naito yeah. should have won the fucking G1. So. Right, right. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and I guess on as far as the Naito thing goes, you know, I think I'm sort of more in line with Andy. It's just sort of in the middle. I mean, I I like everyone who's a good wrestler or who's a really good wrestler or who I enjoy in the ring. So I, you know, obviously, I like <laughs> Naito. <makes> <laughs> Right. Uh, yes. I. I. I'm. Well, I'm not very picky with that. I like you as long as you're. As long as I think you're pretty good. Um. But you know. I. But. I. I guess what I'm trying to say is you know like like Andy said sort of in the middle. Um. And and it, it sort of sucks that we can't really you know find out how much this is going to affect New Japan in the future. We have to. Sadly, we have to wait several months to see if it. You know. Much like when Naito lost to Wrestle Kingdom uh, in 2018, we're going to have to wait a few months to see, you know, what the effects are, what the direction is. Um, though I guess if there if there is one silver lining to this whole thing, is that uh, Naito fans will forever have that image and that you know that gif of uh, Naito <laughs> just punting Gato in the balls. Uh, I'm sure you guys will be. I, I mean, I tweeted. My goal, my goal now is to live long enough for them to start putting like JPEGs on tombstones, so I can just have mine be Naito posing over Gato, holding his balls, like kicking him out of the ring. I hope that they <laughs> put that right on my fucking tombstone. Yeah, there, there is a, there is a silver lining in every dark cloud, and for Naito fans like yourself, that that was definitely it. Uh, that brings us to the G1 final. First of all, I don't I don't want to go match 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 on this undercard because it was a bunch of tag matches and you know who needs to do that. But the main thing that needs to be pointed out, obviously, is that fucking amazing angle with Kenta turning heel, joining the Bullet Club, and Shibata running in and making the save. Um, first of all, the fucking WWE clowns on Twitter today who actually tried to say. The, the the Sasha Banks <laughs> on the ball last night was a bigger deal. I mean, talk about a bunch of fucking dipshits. And, you know, I got into it with them just for pointing out that, like, there is a good chance Sasha herself would not agree with that statement. If you ever look at her Twitter or Instagram, I mean, she fucking follows Japanese wrestling as closely as anybody. Like, she posts all this shit. So yeah, there she, just a- fo- she just followed Brother Mord on Twitter. <laughs> She's a good <laughs> There's a good chance she's like just as big. She would not even agree with them on that fucking take. But um, their their big counter when everybody started clowning on them today was to basically claim that. Um, so was, let me just quote this tweet: Sasha's return is being reported by the New York Post, Newsweek, CBS Sports, ESPN, blah blah blah, mainstream. And then this fucking dipshit Justin Davis is like, wow, guess I wasn't wrong. The Sasha thing is a bigger deal. Can you believe it, guys? West A Western pro wrestling angle was covered by the Western news media more than a Japanese pro wrestling angle? Totally fucking shocking. I mean, that would be like me being like, well, listen, the Shibata angle was covered by Tokyo Sports, Yahoo Japan, 
uh, Nikon Sports. Uh, it got a whole big spread. And this week's this week's issue of Weekly Pro Wrestling, like of course, the Western angle is covered more heavily by the Western media, just like the Japanese angle is covered more heavily by the Japanese media. Not a not a fucking hard one to figure out there. So uh, yeah, I think the, I think the one, one of the best responses I saw was like Shibata had one of the best matches of all time, went blind. Uh, was paralyzed on one side of his body, hasn't wrestled in two years, has only said a few words in public, and he came back. Sasha Banks was upset and took a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) She took a vacation to Japan. To Japan. Japan. Her new t-shirt, it makes it very clear they're going to really run with that fucking Japan thing, which is fine because, again, this woman is a weeaboo in real life. I hate to tell people. So she might not even agree with you using her to fucking be your latest anti-New Japan fucking, uh, you know, hammer. So anyway, I just thought that was amazing from today. The angle itself, obviously, I mean, we're like the 10 people talk about it. So there's no really use in going on and on and on about it. But like, you know, when Kenta came in, Kenta comes, you know, he does it. He drops off the apron. Um, and Ishii fights back anyway because he's Ishii. And Kenta comes flying in with the Busiaku knee kick. That was such a fucking cool spot. Yeah. Uh, you know, like they pin. It's almost forgotten. I feel like given what happened after they pin. Uh, I guess Ishii, right? Or was it? Yeah, it was Ishii. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ishii yeah, y- Yoshihashi's out the ring. And Kenta gives Ishii to go to sleep. Tamataka pins him, and it turned out that was a setup for the Never Title match at uh, Royal Quest. And then Shibata Kenta grabs the mic, which is the best part. Like he clears the ring. They beat up Yoshihashi some more. He beats up the fucking young boys from LA, which is like the, the obviously the part that actually drew out Shibata. And he goes. The ring is completely clear. He goes to take a mic and goes to cut a promo. And Budokan's like booed him out of the building. And then Shibata just runs out of the back out of nowhere and fucking destroys him. Just the coolest fucking thing you will probably ever see. I was like, I, I don't even, I was like beyond words watching this. I was just like, cause I, I managed not to be spoiled on this. And I, I'm just like, you know, I, I don't even know how to describe how I was. I was just like near the verge of tears, which if you think that's insane, this man was one of my favorite wrestlers, probably right there with Naito when he went down as far as like probably my number one a, and you know, he, he went down after one of the greatest matches not in New Japan history, in professional wrestling history. His last match was one of the greatest matches that has ever been wrestled anywhere, on any continent, any any time, anywhere. And he went, so he's basically, you know, the ultimate example of someone tragically going down, you know, at the absolute peak of their career. And here he is, two and a half years later, clearing house, beating the shit out of this motherfucker who just turned... You know, turned his back on everything after he brought him into the company. They have all this history together, and he's standing up for this promotion that he at one point couldn't give a fuck about, which is also really cool. And you know, it just, I, I you know, it really did. It made me tear up watching it. And if you didn't, you know, if you think that kind of emotional reaction is, is lame or whatever, then whatever. But I was very emotional watching this. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, if Shibata wrestles again, if he doesn't wrestle again. You know, I hope he can wrestle again, but if he can't, it was just amazing getting this fucking moment and getting to see him in a wrestling ring again and laying people out only the way he can. I mean, Tamatanga took, God bless Tamatanga, he took like a fucking 20-foot bump for that forearm, and it looked so fucking cool. 
Um, yeah, he like flew halfway across the ring. Yeah, that was great. And this, you you can tell he enjoyed it. And then they got to get heat on him. And Kent just sat in his his sitting style. You know, that the cross on top, yeah. of him, yeah. on top of him. Just such an amazing angle. Yeah, it was I, great. I mean, I, you guys should talk about it too if you want. It was a fucking amazing. Nah, you covered it. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I, I think it's perfect. I mean, yeah, as you said, the last uh, against. Uh, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Kento was being booed and was being booed a couple other times throughout the tournament. And uh, it's perfect. I don't know if this was always the plan or if the, that kind of happened during the G1. We People saw Ghetto or whoever saw that Kento was not being viewed as a baby face. And I think it's perfect. You get the two people who genuinely get heat in New Japan and Jay White and Kenta in Bullet Club. And, and uh, that's that's pretty great. So I think it's cool. <laughs> That makes me sad that the heavyweight tag titles are like not a thing though, because they could be yeah. such a cool team. Yeah, but, they'd be a super cool team. Yeah, yeah. This this angle was, you know, you guys said it was pretty, uh, pretty spectacular. Um, though, you know, obviously it, it gives us the question of what's, you know, what's going to happen with Shibata. Is he gonna, is he gonna wrestle again? And if so, you know, the match with Kenta is the obvious direction. Uh, but how are they sort of going to handle that? It's kind of curious to see where they go. I mean, I was thinking about this today. I think the honestly, if if Shibata were to come back and just as, just as like a one off for Russell Kingdom, I, I think the best idea would probably to put him against Kenta in some sort of you know tag match, maybe teaming Shibata with somebody like Goto or Dragon Lee, who has been sort of a disciple of Shibata in some ways, where you can sort of do a story where you build up to the hot tag. With Shibata, and then Shibata can get in and do stuff where he doesn't have to take, you know, a ton of damage if he's still, you know, fragile enough where, like, the one, you know, one thing that can go wrong could, like, really mess him up. Um, but the announcement of the the Kenta challenge of Ishii at Royal Quest for the Never title is so interesting because it almost seems like that Kenta, you know, after right after this heel turn, it seems like he would have to win the title there because it would be weird if he just like did this big turn and then just lost his next big match but um well he's definitely winning yeah yeah <laughs> so it should be interesting to see where sort of they where kenta fits into the wrestle kingdom picture after this angle uh and the only other big thing before the final was uh obviously minoru suzuki pinning okada which is kind of a cool payoff too because suzuki spent this entire tour talking about how he had a plan even though he wasn't in the G1, and then he got to pin Okada with a Godstyle pod driver and be like, his post match promo, if you guys didn't see, was like, Okada, you just lost to somebody who, who wasn't even in the G1, who wasn't even allowed to be in the G1. So that was a great little payoff to that little angle with Suzuki. Uh, so they had a great idea there, and it really, I thought it wor- really worked by the end. Um, so now Suzuki Okada obviously will headline Royal Quest for the uh, heavyweight title. Um, but yeah, the main, yeah. Event, main event, yeah. Kota Ibushi. <laughs> defeating Jay White in thirty one oh one to be the become the G one climax twenty nine winner. Um so my thought on this I guess is basically I thought it was really good. I went four and a quarter. Um you know it was the weakest finals probably since Okada Anderson for me in twenty twelve. So you know that's just the the high standard these finals have set that I a four and a quarter match is the weakest one in like seven years. Um, what do you have? What do you have? Omega Goto? Like, I think, I think I also have four and a quarter and I think I okay. probably put that 
like just above this one. I mean, the rest of them, those are the two. I mean, the rest of them like are just so fucking good. So, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like as far as the match itself, I thought Kota Bushi was really world class here, especially his selling of the leg and everything. The Jay White leg offense was, you know, a little dull for my taste. Like I didn't love it. Um, I get why some people really love this match, like really, really loved it. I know Joel at the Super J-Cast gave it the full five. I totally get that because it was, you did have that crowd element of like just one guy being beloved and one guy being totally hated. And I get that, you know, that, that brings out a marked reaction kind of, but like, I don't know. Like it just, the lake offense was just a little too boring. The Gato bullshit energy on final, like I said, it really bothered me. Um, you know, I like Kota as a big conquering hero. That makes sense. And I and I love Kota Ibushi, if that's not clear, by the way. Like, he's probably my second favorite guy in New Japan. So, like, I don't – if if Naito can't win, then, you know, Kota is a great choice. And he, he had an amazing tournament. But, um, you know, I just didn't think this was quite up to the standard of recent G1 finals. Uh, Andy, I bet you liked it more than I did, so go ahead. Yeah, again, not not terribly more. I'm usually about a quarter star higher on these Jay White matches, it seems like most of them. Uh, so I went four and a half on this. Uh, it does uh, rank pretty high on my, my top ten matches list uh, that we'll go over here shortly. Um, and, I, yeah, I really, really liked it. Another match that I watched twice just to make sure uh, kind of where I was at to see, uh, after, especially after Joel gave it five, and I saw uh, mixed reviews all over. Uh, really kind of everything was kind of – post four but a lot of four and three quarters from other people that i, I really like i think that's what case went went with as well um and uh yeah it was really great um i i really did love the, the control segments by jay i think that's a good spot for him to be in some of them are a little boring some of them are sometimes they don't work fully and he's obviously not quite the technical wrestler of uh certain people like a minoru suzuki or, or even when tanahashi or, or naito can work body parts or things like that um but i i do I think that really fits well with his character. So if he could, you know, kind of need when, when Naito was more of a heel and, uh, you know, when he first came back, I think he really worked a lot of more body parts and he still can. Uh, but I think that's, if we could get rid of the, the interference aspect of Jay White's uh, character and uh, he's still going to be a shithead heel, he's really got to like, you know, pick apart limbs. And I think he's, uh, he's pretty good at that. Um, and Ibushi is, uh, while sometimes an inconsistent seller, uh, he, he did really Really, really great here, I thought, and uh, carried it through the, the lake story. Um, right guy won, I think, uh, and um, yeah, I was I was super stoked uh, when he won. I think I always get really happy to, to see a G1 final, and even if I, I love or don't love the winner, uh, I, I get pretty stoked. I, I think other than when Omega won, honestly, I, I've been super stoked at the conclusion of every G1. Um, and so, yeah, this one ranked pretty highly. Probably when you're talking like 2013 to now, it's probably right in the middle uh, for me, but um, most of those matches have all been pretty great. So, yeah, good. Good job, Coda. Sean? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I, you... oh I, ahead, well, Sean. I was just going to say, you know, I went uh, four and three quarters on this. Uh, it ended up cracking my top ten at the end of the day, though I would definitely say that there were uh, matches in the blocks themselves I thought were better than this. Um I do think this was my. I do think this was Jay White's best match of his career. Um, I have been sort of waiting for him to sort of have that really truly great match because uh, his, his ceiling for me has really been at four and a half, and he just hasn't been able to sort of uh, crack that barrier. I think he finally managed to uh, to do that here. Uh, you know, I think they told a great story based off of the 
the angle the night before where uh, they attacked Coda's ankle. Uh, and I just think in general, the, the match I just thought of had a, perf- a great combination of, you know, the storytelling and the drama and, and, and the wrestling as well. The wrestling was pretty good. Um, what else is to say about this? Um, I, you know, and again, if, you know, if Bushi was going to win, then I think Jay White was the perfect person to put up against him uh, because it, you know, of the face heel dynamics and he really got the crowd in Budokan really behind Ibushi as you would expect. And it sort of made for a great atmosphere in that regard. Um, ranking the finals, uh, I, I would say it's sort of, you know, certainly not up there with the best um, sort of, I sort of put it on the same level as Omega and Goto and I guess maybe some of the other lower ones from recent years, but you know, still very good at its own right. I would say. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, I definitely don't think it was bad. So that's basically what I would say about this one. Um, we didn't disagree on a whole lot this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I mean, look, it was a really good tournament. I mean, what are yeah, you going to say? It was. I think the, end, and the end was very. I mean, these these five nights in particular were were very strong. So. Yes, I mean if I if I just like I could bring on somebody who just fucking hates New Japan. I could bring on the anti crack account, and he could tell, there me you go. About, <laughs> tell me all about how NXT UK is way better over the fuck. Which, by the way, doesn't actually exist. So, um, <laughs> as far as the G one overall, um, first of all, Ibushi. I have to, I want to mention before we get to like ratings and all that, um, Ibushi at the end at the post G one press conference the next day. He mentioned that he wants to challenge for the Intercontinental and the heavyweight. And he said he hasn't given up his affinity for the Intercontinental, and he said he wants to challenge for the heavyweight on one four and the IC on one five. So I don't know what this means. I mean, like, it's people have said there's, there's a lot of things it could mean. It could mean, first of all, it could be nothing, it could be just something he said. I doubt it because it's the same kind of thing that Naito has said all year with the two belt thing. So it feels like something they're building to with these two domes, that they're going to do something wacky. It could mean literally what he just said. He's going to have a heavyweight match on night one, and regardless of the result, an IC match on night two. Or it could mean they're doing some kind of wacky mini tournament thing where, like, it's Okada, Okada, Ibushi, and uh, Naito White for the heavyweight and the IC on night one, and the two winners fight each other on night two. So basically what I'm saying here is New Japan is once again – Giving me a big thing, <laughs> <laughs> a false hope, and that's part of the reason why I feel a little bit better two days later. And at least feels like Naito's somewhat in the mix or something again, which he clearly wasn't two days ago. I mean, Mister Bushi going out there and talking about the IC title in that press conference at least tell, signals to me there's something going on there. Um, you know, it doesn't mean he's going to walk out of the fucking Tokyo Dome with both titles. At this point, I would say that's less likely to happen than anything because, you know, how can you fucking believe that at this point if you're a Naito fan? But in my head, it makes a lot of sense to do some kind of wacky two-night thing because, you know, Okada Ibushi will be the least fresh uh, heavyweight title match they've ever done at the Dome in the past five years. I mean, I did a breakdown of this the other day where basically every other title match you know, you had the one year where they did Okada uh, Okada versus 
Tanahashi back to back in 2015, 2016. So the the only time they had one that was a at least I mean that was the least amount of time basically from the last time the two people in the Tokyo Dome IWGP title match had last fought. So it was exactly one year. It was 2015 to 2016. Uh, every other time, you know, you're talking 2014, Okada Naito, they had gone a year and a half without doing it. You know, since the the match at Corrigan, more than a year and a half. Uh, 2017 Okada Omega, they literally never done it. 2018, Okada Naito, you know, they hadn't done it since uh, in a year and a half again, since the April 2016 match, or the May, the June 2016 match where Okada won the title back. And then 2019, Omega Tanahashi, they hadn't done that match in three years almost. It was like February 2016 when we did for the IC title. So you're going from all that to a match we just saw, you know, in August of 2019. So it's, you're talking about five months later, not even, you know, not even six months. You're talking about doing that match again when we just saw Kota Ibushi beat the guy clean. So first of all, if I was an Ibushi fan, which I am, to be clear, but if I was someone who, like, only stand Ibushi and only really, really wants to see him win that, I would be very frightened that Okada is winning that match if that's all they're doing. If they're just doing Okada Ibushi and the IC thing's not happening and they're not doing anything else, I I think Okada's retaining. I hate to tell people. Um, The other thing, it just feels very, very, like, weak for a – you know, heavyweight title main event at the Tokyo Dome. So this way now, if they are just doing the, like some kind of mini tournament or some kind of thing where if Kota beats Okada, he gets another match with Naito and Naito goads him into putting the heavyweight title on the line too. If they're doing something else with both of them, then, um, you know, it makes a lot more sense to me why they're comfortable putting on a heavyweight title match that we quite literally just fucking saw. So that's why I have a lot of, Maybe false hope there. Maybe it's total bullshit. Maybe Kota Bushi was... This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.